You think that's air you're breathing now? based on your political background or whatever side of the spectrum you're on that explain or at least attempt to explain or do their best to explain like the nature of reality or where we came from and those are of course science and religion okay guys welcome back to the grimerica show we're going to be chatting with niles heckman uh a little bit later um and we got Red Pill Junkies going to join us. We're going to get to some of our remote viewing feedback, of you what, uh, what we came up with. Uh, but first, as always, Soylent Graham is people. How's it going, buddy? Uh, speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Soylent Graham is people. <laughs> I like it. Get you your cup of Soylent Graham. Soylent Graham is people. Yeah. Soylent Graham. Yeah. That was from Justin. Was it? He sent it over to me. Texted have it. You to re- have you really seen that movie? No. Darren? I, I watched it a long time ago. I remember like acting it out when we were kids. Mm. Going around screaming. It was like our thing for a while. Yeah. I just vaguely remember. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think I've ever seen it. Actually, maybe I have a long time ago. Vague. So yeah, we've got Niles Heckman on. That's an interesting chat. He's you know an artist, one of these guys that worked in uh, in the movie studios in in um, digital arts and stuff like that. And he then he kind of sort of woke up and realized that some of the movies he does making you know graphics for kind of like a version of uh, of reality. And it's pretty interesting. I listened to his podcast before I went to Vegas, and it really made me think differently about the arts. And then, yeah, we know what happened after that. Yeah, how's it going, Red? Oh, you had to ask. <laughs> well, let's just say that my life has turned really, really interesting in the Chinese sense of the word. I don't know the Chinese sense of the word. May may uh, may you live an interesting life or something like that. Yeah, but that's they use it as a curse. Oh, do they? Oh, yes. You know, I mean, so so a ma- one man's curse could be another man's blessings. Maybe that's my case because, well, you know, in in short, I got fired last week. No, you got laid off, right? Well, laid off, terminated, given the boot. <laughs> uh, how many how many similes you want me to to bring slip. forth? Yeah, no, a pink slip. No, my employer is too cheap to waste in a good pink slip. Obviously, he doesn't listen to the show. And if he did, I really don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> well, I think this is a challenge and uh, that's going to end up being a huge positive thing in your life. Oh, God willing. Yeah. No, I, I seriously think if you can embrace that possibility, it, it could really, you could really manifest what you want and desire. I know it sounds so cliche and all that, but I'm serious. Springboard that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Springboard Do I need shit. to raise my vibrations then? Fuck yeah. Or no, don't. <laughs> There's so nothing wrong with I, trying. 
how do I do that then? It's I'm just like, hard work, dedication, and you just gotta. I guess it kind of is like uh, you just gotta visualize it. Quite, yeah, quiet your mind down and focus on what you desire. Right, find yeah. out what you desire and then start feeling the emotion of having that that what you desire, like doing what you love for a living. Don't start mm-hmm. a podcast. So and there's start- no money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You're welcome to come on here as much as you want, but don't start your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It will not pay the bills. Uh, speaking of which, we're moving. We've got, we've set move day 10 days from today. Yeah, 10 days from today-ish. Yeah. You're moving again? We're moving to our new studio. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the new, yeah, the new igloo. The igloo, the actual the igloo. The igloo 2.0. The real igloo. It's really more like a bunker, but we'll still call it the igloo. Well, it was the a freezer. Are, yeah, the walls are like four inches thick and weigh like 300 pounds. Well, better a bunker than an outhouse. <laughs> but yeah, my electrician buddy's coming over to Wired Up this weekend, and we got the internet figured out, so we're good to... Or we think we have the internet figured out anyway. Yeah, it is like a Faraday cage, so I don't know. Mm. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I, well, I, I, I in there. Yeah. I read an article the other day about this like $3 million uh, department in San Francisco, which was, you know, according to the, 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 the sellers, you know, uh, EMF proof. If it is a Faraday cage, it's good. That means they'll still be able to, we'll still be able to record after the, the EMP goes off. And I, I don't think they were concerned about the MEP as much as the idea of maybe insulating the owners for some kind of, I don't know. I think that one of the things that was mentioning in the article was how the police can use some kind of radar or radar devices in order to, to sting. Like, <coughs> I think it's called yeah. sting. Yeah. Yeah. Like see, uh, see the people inside a building, you know, like some kind of X-ray machine. Yeah. You know, which kind of is an interest uh, legal uh, conundrum, you know. Is that, you know, like uh, searching your house without without a warrant, you know, even though they're technically outside the it's building? A Patriot, uh, look, a Patriot. Blah, Jesus. The Patriot Act? Motherfucker. I think what that's that? happened. I think that's happened in San Francisco before, Red, and people have talked about it. I've heard that, you know, on the No Agenda show where, it's an actual thing, right? When they have like a, a crime event happen and they come in with their sting operation, like literally, I think they can access everybody's phones right then and there. They can drain your batteries or they can see, mm. like you're saying, see the locations through the walls. They could probably even activate your emergency system on your phone. I mean, it's, it's, it is pretty creepy. Yeah. I also read an, another article, a different one about these, uh, airplanes that are being chartered by the FBA, FBI, sorry, you know, some, some kind of surveillance program. I mean, these, these are not drones. These are, you know, small, uh, single engine planes, you know, flying at low altitude on neighborhoods, you know, doing God knows what. Huh. That's interesting. And creepy. Yeah. Like, so they're almost, they could be utilizing that same technology and flying around, maybe spraying chemtrails while they're at it. 
killed two birds with one stone. That's too, that's too low for a chemtrail. You had to go there, man. So, to go. Before we go there. I want to still okay, go ask on. a question about the $3 million apartment. So that's obviously the price for a little condo, like probably like a thousand square foot condo or something. Maybe it was seven million. I can't recall. That's right three now. million. That makes sense. I mean, so what do they do? They they put lead in the walls or something like that, or they put a like covered in a sort of some thin foil or aluminum or something like that. If you give me one minute to open my notes, so it could be kind of like the tin foil hat apartment. Yeah, they 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 actually <laughs> promoted it that way. Oh, like did they one really? Big, yeah, one big. Oh. Team foil. Well, no, uh, sorry, that, that was actually how uh, an article mentioning that apartment. You know, you know it is. But it, it might it might save you from any MP too, right, or something. I mean, maybe this is a trend. I mean, maybe they were, Maybe they were thinking of those people who complain about uh, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I and I actually think there is a case for that you know ah, how about that you know the conspiracy now i'm now the tables are turned because i really think there's a case for people who really get sick uh, because of uh, electromagnetic fields should we have a guy on to talk about that oh I wait did. oh wait we did <laughs> oh. and it was the only one we lost that was in the lost episodes uh, era and that was the one unrecoverable episode was the the guy uh, talking about digital harm. <laughs> uh, I mean, that could be a conspiracy, really. Okay, here it is. The, the, the apartment was $8.5 million asking price. Holy shit. Mm. And I think that we... Okay, here it is. The home's, the home's electromagnetic profile was achieved by applying heavy graphite-based paints on yeah. all interior surfaces. Mm. Conductive wire tape was then applied in a large network connecting the walls, floors, and ceilings. Finally, the windows were coated with transparent EMF-resistant films. Taken as a whole, these measures prevent electromagnetic signals from entering the apartment. It is a live-in Faraday cage, an enclosure made from conductive materials named after 19th century inventor Michael Faraday, who discovered how to block and redi redirect electrical fields. I wonder how you'd feel after staying in there for a month. Yeah. Well, maybe dream more or dream less. I mean, yeah. I mean, I listened to an old Mysterious Universe episode. Well, not that old, you know, I mean, I think like a week old. When they interviewed this guy who wrote a book about how our, our current light pollution has making us all sick yeah. you know it has really disrupted our our uh, our endocrinous uh, cycles and all that you know it has made us grow weight you know has made, made us uh, lose sleep you know so who knows maybe maybe living in a house completely devoid of any kind of electrical fields could actually improve your health in ways we are really not aware of right now. Hmm. That'd be interesting to see. I mean, yeah, it will be. Results. It will be kind of. 
imagine a kind of experiment in which you get two identical twins, you know, kind of having the same, the same health uh, status, you yeah. know, and yeah. having one of them, you know, live for a year or two inside a, a, a normal house, you know, bombarded with Wi-Fi and nor, uh, normal electrical lighting and all that. And the other, you know, living in some kind of hot, you know, without any kind of electrical appliance or electromagnetic fields, you know, and then compare the two, you know, you see, see what yes, kind of changes. Kind of echo. <laughs> well, no, then you, then you could have, have other experiments where you'd have two twins that are staying other together. And, no, 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 like, just wait, Hopefully just listen no, to no me. No more twins are listening to the show. Oh, then two of them could stay within, in the same like environment and see how they communicate and connect together living in that Faraday-ish environment. And then, you know, compare that to other twins that live in a zone where there's other know, twins. lots of electronic interference and see how that affects them. And I mean, it's weird when I went to Vancouver last week and I started dream, I had, I had try more, and force them to be psychic. I had dreams that, you know, I, I dreamt more in Vancouver for some reason. Did you? Yeah. You know, I, I, I read an article on the guardian about uh, Richard Dawkins, you know, and there's a quote by him that really, well, it didn't surprise me that, that much. Basically said that the man has never dreamt and he has never had any kind of nightmares. So man which, as in mankind? You know, no, man as in Richard Dawkins, he says. Oh, that have, man. Yeah, Richard Dawkins says that he has never dreamt or had any nightmares in his whole life. Well, that explains it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Does he think they're real? <laughs> ah, good question. <laughs> that is that is interesting, though, how it comes down to experience. Like, how much has that affected his life over decades? Yeah, like uh, the amazing Randy says that he has he's never had he's never drunk any alcohol or taking on any kind of hard drugs you know i mean and to each its own you know but maybe that's one of the reasons why these guys have such a narrow uh, worldview hmm. yeah that is interesting surprises me and nwv narrow world view i like that <laughs> Don't get too carried away. Oh my god, now you're having Profound Purified Part of the Week. Alright, I feel you'd be trying to snag me there. So this is, a, this is a good one, I think. is On August 5th, 1929, something remarkable. We were in our camp in the Kukunor district, not far from the Humboldt chain. In the morning, about half past nine, some of our caravaners noticed... A remarkably, a remarkably big black eagle flying over us. Seven of us began to watch this unusual bird. At the same moment, another one of our caravaners remarked, there is something far above the bird, and he shouted in his astonishment. We all saw in a direction from north to south something big and shiny reflecting the sun, like a huge oval moving at great speed. Crossing our camp, the thing changed in the direction from south to southwest and we saw how it disappeared in the intense blue sky. 
We even had to time to take our field glasses and saw quite distinctly an oval form with shiny surface, one side of which was brilliant from the sun. That's from Nicholas Rorick, Altai Himalaya, Rorick Museum, New York. Altai Himalaya. Yeah, I, I, I knew that I knew that one already, and it's interesting because it kind of gets connected with the legend of uh, Agarthi and the hidden the hidden kingdoms of the enlightened ones, you know. Who? Shambhala and all. You know, the, you guys have heard about Shambhala. Yeah, and but all I didn't this. hear what you said at, at first. There, McCarthy or something like that. What did you say? Agarthi. Oh. Okay. So it's. Yeah, it's kind of like the idea that maybe, you know, the UFO phenomenon is connected with the these uh, enlightened masters, ascended masters, you know, that used to contact uh, Madame Blavatsky, you know, and all those Theosophist guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. huh. there's definitely a direct connection between, between the Theosophical Society and the early contactees you know like for example uh, george adamski i mean you know many of the th he was a member of the theosophical society hmm. i don't think i knew that oh well now you do yeah. <laughs> you don't know now you know hmm. that's Speaking interesting no what it's... do you know about the location of the remote viewing exercise oh the location yeah well is it a location why do you say location can't it be I've seen it. Can't it be a what? Oh you saw it, did you? Can't it be an object, person, place, or thing? I don't know, probably. Okay, well okay, do you want me to talk about some of oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, so so people So we had the episode with, we should give a little bit of a background, shouldn't we, before we start jumping into this? Sure. With John yep. Herlosky about remote viewing. And John, and it was all spontaneous, but John said, well, wh why don't I give you some coordinates and you guys can remote view this and then I'll send you the, the thing later. So we talked about getting the audience, the listening audience involved and people started sending in their, their remote viewing. So we're going to go through some of that now and then we'll talk about John's... Um, the real the real thing he's going to send it to us so we haven't seen it and uh we have tried not to look at or li watch any of the uh watch read any of the emails from people so it's kind of you know spontaneous here and i'm being distracted by napoleon's remote viewing picture have you seen it yeah it's hilarious <laughs> what is it a guy a guy in a in a green shirt it's a guy in a Wisconsin shirt. Doesn't he have a cheese on his head, too? Yeah, he's got a block of cheese on his head. And he's grabbing ass. And he's grabbing somebody's ass. Well, he's so almost he's grabbing somebody's fan. ass. Oh, a Packer. Oh, he's a Green Bay Packers fan. So if he's got cheese on his head, does that mean he's Canadian? And we know a no, Green no. Bay Packers fan. Yeah, Cheesehead is, cheese head is, is Canadian. So it's no, a Canadian Green Bay Packers thing. Yeah, that's from Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin cheese? Because it could be construed as a canadian packers fan it's not you packers all sure? oh, there's like fucking ten thousand cheese heads in the stadium when they play really yeah yeah plumber mm. yeah one. i knew that and i know i'm not even a football fan okay well i know that canadians are cheese heads as well so we'll have to throw what you've never, never heard, heard of that, that. No. what 
What about you, Red? Have you ever heard the Americans call Canadians cheeseheads? No, never. Oh, there you go. So it's a double entendre. Uh, <laughs> or you just made it up. <laughs> okay, so you are the cheeseheads. That's a word for that. <laughs> Napoleon lives in Quebec. He'll know about the cheeseheads. So you are the cheeseheads. We are the beaners. What makes, what makes the Americans then? What are the Americans? Gringos. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll leave that one. So here's another one. Like so, 90% of the audience is American. Yeah, exactly. They're great people. Yeah, they're great people. The land of the free, home of the brave. And they watch our back. That's right. Because we have a standing army of like 15,000. <laughs> <laughs> so here's another one. This is from Mark. He says, uh, subscribers since episode 47 could not for the life of me open up the Portland experience 21056611, which is the coordinates we got from John. Perhaps I need to bring my heart rate down to 10 beats per minute per, per second for better results. 10 BPS, he said. Who's this, sorry? This is Mark. Mark H. He tried for several nights before he went to sleep. All I saw was mountains, monuments, and madness. Keep up the great work. Don't forget to f oh, inform the listeners that if you get 50 subscribers, what happens, Darren? I can't remember. A heroic dose for you and Joey. So I should oh. be plugging this every week. If you, you want to subscribe monthly to any, I think it's $5 a month. You can get a Gramerica email address, and when we get to 50, Darren and Joy, like Heroic Dose, and we'll do, like, the Shroom sequel. We'll see. I can't, I'll have to dig that up. I don't remember saying that. We're not oh, my God, of course you did remember saying that. Yeah, well, he said it on a couple episodes. Don't be denying it now. Whatever happened to Pat O? Pat O was going to do one for us, too. He was going to participate along with you online. So Paddle will remember. See, you do remember. You're just yeah. playing around. Okay. Maybe Red will, maybe Red, uh, let's, if enough people donate, we'll fly Red up here and, and do it with Darren. Right, how Red? many? That's going to take yeah. a lot of donations. <laughs> yeah, that will take a lot of donations. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe, yeah. maybe we can make, let's manifest that. Manifest there you go. There you go. Red, desire that one and we'll, we'll make it happen. Okay. I will draw a CGL. <laughs> That's right. Hey. First, we had a map. Ma it worked for us before, Red. Oh, it has worked for me too. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I remember you and I both told our sigil stories. So, mm -hmm. yeah. There you go. So, I got another one here from uh, Ryan. And he says, uh, So, wait, what's mountains, monuments? That's what mountains, Mars, and Mars, or, Mars or Egypt. What do you mean? We, that's what you're taking from that? Yeah. All right, do what you want with that. All I get is a mental picture of a story, light colored North American style house with a dark door, sunny sky, and a green grass lawn. A dark colored vehicle parked in a driveway to the right of the house in front of a detached garage. Also, a large tree on the lawn, approximately 20 to 30 feet high. Bizarre. And that's, uh, he said, that's interesting. So that was from Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. If I Ryan miss. S? Yeah. If from I miss. Brandon. Yes, you probably got it right this time. What, were you, what did you just say? Winnipeg? Winnipeg. Yeah. So this is from Chris. No, it's not from Chris, is it? Oh, yeah, maybe. I thought this was tied into another email we got too anyways um if i've missed any of these feel free to send them in 
or resend them because I, I, my inbox is quite a mess right now. I was just out of town for a few days and it's always hard to catch up with the phone and the laptop. He says, well, I didn't really do the thing. This is from Chris P. I mean, I didn't get into transfer anything, just writing while I'm listening. So my first visual was like an arch. Maybe, like maybe you might see with a bridge. But then there was this tower-like thing with like corner spires. Almost like an old-fashioned clock tower. Oh, well, I'm too lazy to do real prep for this. It will be interesting to see, though. <laughs> so thanks, Chris. I have, Believe me, I have a hard time with this, too. With remote viewing? <laughs> Yeah. So Matt sent sent in a sketch. Hey man, did a quick remote view sketch on the coordinates and I attached it. This is what I saw. And this is from Matt. It's kind of got a brown background with a gray almost like a clock head in there with an arm, like a straight arm across it with some little knobbies. It's almost like a like a machine of some sorts. Let me see. Well, how do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> You have to come around here. Keep talking. Yeah. That looks, that's Coral Castle. Ooh. You think that's, that's cool? What, how are you, what are you, who are you to interpret everybody else's hey, sketches? at least I'm not rating them. Coral Castle, Ed Leedskinen's machine. Bang. You can tell how scientific this is. Darren's like Next. just interpreting them and writing them down <laughs> on the table. That's it. How about yours? Oh, wait. Let me do yours first while I queue up. Oh, I don't know. You don't have one? What about you, Red? Do you want to try on the fly? Nah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honestly, this was tough. I didn't really really got much but a couple things came to to mind it was like this oh you drew a picture no it's not really a picture it's just a little sketch it, i, I kind of had orange and cold came to mind and like a rough rough circular thing and i thought maybe it was like a a basketball came to mind actually an orange rough like basketball i don't know if that's like a stand or something like that and then <laughs> looks like a trampoline and then a red shaped pear Red, red, red-shaped pair came to mind. So I feel somewhat silly, but that's what I got. That's not bad. I got. Uh, I didn't write it. I just envisioned. You, you didn't write anything down. There's oh. no proof of what you, you're just making up right now to course correlate with all the other listeners' feed, feedback. No. And people are supposed to trust us when you don't even write down your remote viewing test. I'm saying it before I Can you believe answer. this, Red? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Why do I have to write it down? Well, that was what I'm you're supposed to do. I'm recording on a podcast before I know the answer. <laughs> That's the same thing. No, it's not. You've heard everybody I, else's stuff. You can't tell me how to remote view, dude. No, I didn't make it. I didn't. You could be making it up right I'm, now. I'm not. I'm trying to get into my email on the tablet because I can't. Do you have that little blue cord? Blue cord. That's small enough to fit into the slot of my phone I'll so check. I can play the okay, voice. Okay, you can off. talk about your thing while I'll I check. check. So I was lying in bed when I did it last night. And I visioned. And for a while I didn't see nothing. And then I seen a little point, I think, in the Pacific Ocean. And it's up, it was up in the, it seemed like it was up farther north near Japan. 
not near Japan, but kind of up higher, like that level, not down low by like Hawaii and shit. And then, but so at first I thought it was Easter Island, but Easter Island's a lot farther south. So I don't know what it is, but something in the North Pacific, unless maybe John thinks Easter Island's in the North Pacific. Where is Easter Island? In South Pacific. Is it really considered South Pacific? Yeah, it's like off the West Coast of uh, South America. So you don't think you got Easter Island, though, even though that's the logo of our podcast? <laughs> no, I think it's something North Pacific. So did Unless you see an island? Is, did you see an island, or did you no, see I a point? See, like you saw a point? I just seen a point. Like it could be the consolidation of radiation from Fukushima? Yeah, it could be anything. I just seen a point. Okay. You think I made that up from the <laughs> listeners' feedback? <laughs> no. Perfect. Okay, good. So now I'll play uh, our buddy Wayne. He's a supporter, big supporter of the show. Wayne. Wayne from Med Hat. All right. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. No, where do I have it? This is always a bit of a fucking production. Hey boys, uh, on those. Hey boys, uh, on those coordinates. Uh, I think we're looking at Yellowstone. has something to do with the military, American Army, and vertical structures. Yellowstone, American Army, tall standing vertical structures. And that's about it. Thanks. Oh, this is uh, Wayne at a medicine hat. See ya. Thanks, Wayne. I like that we got a voicemail of it instead of an email. Yeah. See, that's what I bring to the table. That's kind of a creepy one. Creepy one? Mm. Maybe like the U.S. government is making fucking, he just sent us to Yellowstone, but Wayne picked up on the fucking containment system they're trying to make to stop the super volcano from erupting in 2019. Oh, you're thinking in a positive light. Yep. What do you think, Red? About a volcano in 2019? <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever, yeah, sh sh whatever. Surely there will be a volcano erupting in 2019. A super volcano? That part, no. Darren, Darren just made oh. all that up. I did just oh, make all that up. I haven't heard any rumors. Or I'm not privy to anything. So, what else we got? Do we have the answer yet? Well, I. No, we don't have the answer yet. <laughs> <laughs> if oh, we, really I'm hoping to, to get that. it. Honestly, like I'm hoping to get it any minute. And if it doesn't come, we're gonna have to squeeze it into the outro. <laughs> and if this, if it doesn't come by then, it might have to be next episode. But we really don't like to do that. So I'll, I'll follow up as as best I can without being a total nuisance. No, you can't email them again. I think. Well, maybe I got the wrong email or something. Uh, just try variations. So, yeah, what else? So we want to talk about uh, supporting the show a little bit. Um, it's funny because when we were talking to Niles, who, who's 
this is uh, the episode that is coming up here. He was mentioning gas. And it's funny because the photographers used to have this term for gear acquisition syndrome. And so we kind of need gas money. <laughs> I yeah. hate to say it, but we've got gas. I got to admit it. Like, really, we do have some gear acquisition syndrome, considering we just bought a $400 sound booth for the garage. So that could be considered gear. And now the little internet transfer device to yeah. transfer the internet to the garage. Yeah. And now a new router. And electricity and... The new digital recorder I used on the road trip. At least the uh, the digital recorder was paid for, actually. Paid for by donations. Yeah. Yes, thank you very much. And you, so you guys can thank your donations, our subscribers mostly, thank our subscribers um, for the episodes, of the bonus episodes that will be coming out shortly. Um, so about Graham, of Graham Erica, he's fucking starting to edge me out. <laughs> Red, so Red, I was, <laughs> I was uh, at George Norian friends. So, I, and I also was at a VR uh, studio, Cloudhead Games. So I just. Oh did, yeah, I, I I saw that photo of you. You know, wearing the Oculus. Well, it's actually the, a Vive. So be careful with that one. Oh, excuse yeah. me. Oculus style, but it's That's... a Vive. It's a Vive headset. Oh yeah. So it, it uses so, lasers to sense where you are in the room, so you can walk around in the virtual environment. What kind of virtual environment was that? It was like a fantasy game, like a, a adventure game kind of thing. It was just in the demo of it. Tell, yeah. tell the truth, uh, Graham. Were there boobs? Boobs? <laughs> yeah. No. Come Did on. Did you win the game? No, no, I was just, it's just a demo. I just did a couple different demos. It's really good. And How did so, it compare to what we were doing? Oh, it's way, way better, yeah. Like nothing? Nothing like it? It's a, wor it's a different world, right? Really. Compared to what we were trying to do here with the, with Oculus. the Oculus? Yeah, and it doesn't make you feel sick at all either. So I was walking around in a room. Scoob's going to hit you up. Yeah, I was walking around in a room, picking things up, throwing them, and like touching things and grabbing things, and it's pretty cool. It's gonna yeah. be pretty amazing. Yeah, walking up in this, walking through this cave, and walking up and down the hill in this cave, and like it's pretty cool. In total VR. Yeah. Total Do you have VR. to walk in place, or you just walk? No, I just walk. Well, around. Kind of, can you see well, outside so of the VR? Like, no. could you walk just right into the wall? I could if I wasn't careful. So it yeah. was like, like, Ooh. like. Like Skyrim, Sky, like uh, like kind of like Mist in a way. Okay. Do you remember that game? Didn't play it. Yeah, either, either did I really, but it's sort of that type. So it's like a I don't know what Skyrim is like. I'm not really a gamer, so I'm not the best person to demo VR games. But it was a good experience, and I'll talk more about it on this episode that I recorded while I was out there on this digital recorder. So we're gonna put that out as its own little solo ex extra episode. Interesting. Yeah. While you were doing that, I was out on my first motorcycle poker run. How'd that go, buddy? It went excellent. Poker? Yeah, I had a blast. I didn't get a very good hand. Or actually, I ended up getting two pair on both hands, but it wasn't close to good enough. I think the winning hand was four deuces. Four deuces, wow. And then after we had to run because the one guy was running out of gas. Gas, grass, or ass. Nobody yeah. rides for free. And I figured uh, I was good to go because I didn't even hit my reserve tank yet. My reserve tank still gives me another like 40 kilometers or 30 kilometers I'm supposed to get on my reserve. So we went cruising and we went into Millerville 
and see if the that gas station was open. I missed a turn off, so I had to go up the road to find some place to turn around. And they went and headed into Turner Valley, and I fucking uh, ran out of gas. No way. No. Yeah. In the middle of fucking uh, nowhere, my sh- cell phone was dead. I ran out of gas, so I was like, okay, whatever. It's only like 8K or 12K to Turner Valley. I'll just turn on my reserve. So I turned on my reserve tank. I got like maybe fucking 2,000 feet. Ran out of gas again. Fucking nothing. So then I had to push the bike probably like 2 or 3K. And then some random dude drove by. Like nobody would stop. Bikes going by, cars going by. Were you putting your thumb out or anything? Were you trying to ask for help? No, I was just no. pushing the bike. But Stubborn? I was, yeah. Well, what am I going to do? Like, I didn't really have a plan of what I would do if I flagged someone over. I was, what I was hoping is I was going to push my bike over the next hill and there'd be a gas station down there. Yeah. But then some dude stopped and he's like, can I help you, man? I was like, only if you got some gas. He's like, I'll go get you so. I've got gear acquisition syndrome. So he ran to his house and got me a little jerry can of gas. Oh. And you then, know the, the name of that good Samaritan? I do not. And then I, I didn't have any cash on me, so I said, well, if you give me your email address, I said, I'll email you so like fucking some cash to cover the gas at least. It's the least I can do. And he was like, nope, uh, just pay it forward. Pay wow. It forward. Now that is... Uh, an enlightened being right there. Did you at least tweet him? Tweet him? Tweet him? No? I don't know his name. No, nothing. nothing. Eh? He's just a stranger. Maybe he doesn't even exist. He's just ethereal. My guardian angel. Oh my Your God. guardian yeah. angel. Yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I had no water. Pushing my fucking bike. Oh, I was fucking aggravated. <laughs> Were you or did you take it pretty calm? I took it pretty good. Yeah. I, I had emergency. I had an emergency kit. Really? <laughs> <laughs> what was the first thing you did when you let it, ran out of gas? Pulled out my header. <laughs> <laughs> it was brutal. You need to. That won't happen again because my bike's old, right? It's an '82, so it doesn't have a gas gauge or fuck all. You need to have an extra battery charger for you in your emergency kit. Yeah, my emergency kit doesn't have power. Well, my emergency kit for my bike is one 10 mil wrench. Anything I can't fix on there with a 10 mil wrench, I can't fix on the side of the road. Interesting. So I missed the part about how the guy had the gas. What happened with that? He had to run to his house. Really? He ran to his house and came back with a jerry can? Yeah. Wow. Quite the fucking afternoon. Really, it only probably slowed my down my day by like half an hour, forty minutes tops. Yeah, but I was pushing a fucking three hundred pound. But did you lose the whole rest of the event and all that and all the guys? No, it was already over. Oh, it was already over, and you're on your way home. I won a door prize of a my uh, Harley clock. A Harley clock? Yeah, it's in the garage. Nice. Yeah, it was nice. It was a good day. Right on. So yeah, we. We, uh, now we really do need gas money. <laughs> well, now I've watched my odometer pretty. Now that I know I don't have a reserve tank, I will, won't go past the gas station. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that's, that's good. I'm glad you had a good time. I did till I ran out of gas. Yeah. <laughs> so the donations do help though. We do want to say, get back to that for a second. It's just, we do have fixed expenses and there's, you know, there's more and more to, 
to sort of keep up with it seems like um so we appreciate everybody helping out yeah we do what we can we try and shoot out some extra episodes now and again and um we're pretty booked for the next month yeah going into year three now officially into your first episode of year three no can't be second i'm not sure calendar what do you think red has it gone by fast for you since you've been sort of on this journey with us yeah definitely i mean i mean it it really doesn't feel like it was one year ago i mean i was the second guest in in gray america right so that really literally means that this is one year of being part of gray america for me two Two years years. ah two years sorry so yeah that's it's you know terence mckenna i think probably was right when he postulated that time is <laughs> accelerating yeah seems like it so you're all fucking smiles over there did you get a response i got i got i got our answer our remote viewing answer just in time john must be okay. remote viewing us and he knows exactly when Should we need we it wait for the outro i don't know should we that's not a bad idea actually yeah. No, keep, I think no. Keep I people think. in the keep people in the cliffhanger. All right. Okay. Yeah, then hopefully they don't fast forward the intro, interview. Yeah, that's the thing. I want to listen to Niles. He's a fascinating dude. Well, some some people will wheel and some people won't. Or they'll they'll fast forward then they'll go back. Yeah. That's okay, I guess. Most people will just All wait. Right. Do you have anything else you want to mention, Red, before we uh, move on? Hmm. Let's see. I have one interesting news article. Just for Darren. Yes. Related to his favorite theory that we are all living in a simulation and that the inside of a tree doesn't exist until you cut it down and observe it. I stole that from Jimmy Elvidge, I think, actually. (laughs) So this is an article from The Independent titled... Reality doesn't exist until you look at it. Pioneering quantum physics experiment finds. So some kind of quantum experiment that proves that reality doesn't exist until it's measured, at least for the very, very small things. You know, that seems that objects uh, really choose uh, a given state until they are observed on or measured you know at the quantum level reality at the quantum if there if there were some kind of quantum trees you know with that we could cut down there would really not don't have any kind of uh, insight out until we observed it so it's interesting you know it's an interesting idea of how much of the observer effect you know really um, simulation yeah I mean, in, in fact, I, I, I'm going to send you guys uh, a link to a very interesting uh, YouTube video from this uh, series that is really, really cool, Closer to Truth, in which the guy, uh, I think his last name is Kuhn, you know, he goes and, inter- and interviews a lot of really, you know, celebrity physicists, you know, like, uh, uh, well, the names escape me right now. Theoretical so, physicists or real physicists? 
theoretical physicists and and and, and cosmologists. Yeah, Alan Guth was one of them. You know, the, yeah. Alan Guth is the guy who who first uh, proposed the idea of the inflationary theory. Mm-hmm. So the the question he posed to these guys is whether we is if if our universe is like a computer in the metaphorical sense of the word, or if it's actually a real, com- uh, a, a true computer? And the answer seems to be yes, you know, that the, the universe really acts like a computer because it processes information, you know, on all, on all levels, you know, from a, in all kind of, a, in a very systemic way. You know, that remember what we were discussing with Alex Akiris and, and Conor Habib, you know, how Conor dis, disliked the idea of uh, equating the universe with a machine. Mm-hmm. And I was the one who said that, well, maybe we are thinking of the computer as a, of, of the universe as a computer because we live in, a, in the age of computers. So, you know, the same way that 200 years ago, people saw the universe as this giant clockwork machine, you know? But these guys are saying, no, no. I mean, the universe really is like a computer in the literal sense of the word. So is it is it in an episode, Darren, that we talked about about where it say, the computer would save energy by not uh, creating the rest of the world Save around it until you until you see it, like until it's being observed, it gets created constantly, created and recreated as it gets observed. No, I think once it's there, it's there. Oh, so it's just ever expanding depending on like how we look we at it. Until we cut into the tree, then the center of the tree didn't have to exist. So you know, the smallest things we could ever find were the smallest things at that time. Mm-hmm. But the moment we figured out a way to break those apart, then it had to throw something there, or not throw it there, but expose it. Maybe no, literally throw created it, there, it create literally it. created it. If it's a simulation, it's literally so. The farther it. we look out into the solar Through. systems and the more planets we see, they're creating those planets as we're as we're viewing yeah, them. Be the same idea, yeah. So no matter how far we look, we'll never run out of things to look at. That's why the universe is expanding. Wow! Whoa! Patent pending. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's that's an interesting so, idea to ponder upon. So, Red, <clears throat> the perfect job for you will exist Not as soon really as you look at it. I stole that. <laughs> okay. Right? As soon as you look for it, as soon as you visualize that job, it'll it can exist. Based on this theory. Okay, as long as long as I don't end up in some kind of uh Schrodinger, Schrodinger cubicle, you know, <laughs> the Schrodinger cubicle is the one in which the employee is either working or not, <laughs> depending on whether his boss is observing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Right on. So I think we're going to have you stick around for the outro red, um, because, uh, we want to hear what the, if anybody fared well in this experiment. Is that cool? Okay. Well, it's getting kind of late here, and I have a I have to finish up with the new Daily Grail news briefs. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Do you want to hang on? We won't be long. I don't know, like be five, five minutes. 
Okay, five minutes, I can do that. All right, buddy. All right, so stay tuned for Niles Heckman, everybody. It's like fascinating chat about all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, and we will see you in the outro where we reveal the actual location and see if any of us are um, Project Stargate material. All right. Okay, guys, in America tonight, we're going to be chatting with Niles Heckman uh, about all sorts of fun stuff, consciousness-based. Um, first, how's it going, buddy? New model UFO? Hey, not too bad. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. I just bought a model for the studio. <laughs> oh, you're not, you're not referring to a real UFO that crash-landed in your backyard. No, no. Right. I think I have gas, though, apparently. Yes. Gear acquisition syndrome is what you call it. <laughs> Yes, it's a street <laughs> photographer term for oh. continuously buying equipment until you, and you just can't stop. So you guys have gas for podcast hardware. Does that include like <laughs> and black lights ornaments. and psychedelic posters and stuff? <laughs> yeah, and lava lamps and things. It does. It includes the whole shebang. It does, eh? Oh, shit. I definitely yeah. have that. Oh, man. So so we've got Niles Heckman here, and this is going to be interesting. Um, he's got his own podcast. Um, what's it called again, Niles? It's called Novelty Generators. Right, it's right in my of, finger, yeah. Yeah, and that name isn't really just based off of like, hey, it's just a new interesting thing. It's it's Because it's not like that. It's kind of a philosophical way that I put it because there's this philosopher named Alfred North Whitehead who had this kind of interesting theory that the universe is kind of always in search for creativity and originality in everything it does. And then mm. that was kind of further expanded upon by you know other people, that idea. So I kind of just branded the podcast with that label and it's interesting because yeah the podcast is kind of a tertiary thing i do but it started out as one thing and then it kind of has grown into something else but it's just a nice kind of side thing i do is like a side research um project in some ways and then in other ways it's like just an enjoyable casual conversation thing that of people that i'm interested in interacting with and talking to and building networks off of and just guests that talk about all, all sorts of kind of broader spectrum stuff, similar to what you guys have here. Yeah. Yeah. We totally get that. Yeah. I, I had a feeling your, the name of your podcast had some pretty deep meaning. I've noticed yeah. uh, after listening to a lot of them that you have some pretty deep conversations. So like yeah. in, in, in America, we touch on some of, some of the stuff you talk about, but I think that we're in some ways we're kind of missing that artist slash creativity piece like we've had some artists on before in the law but you, you get into some pretty deep philosophy over it and you've had uh experience um as an onset visual effects supervisor right at, at some pretty crazy movies like culturally changing movies like uh, matrix and avatar so i wanted to just mention to the listeners about that 
And yeah. lately you've been making some short films and starting to create stuff on your own. And then I want to also get into for sure, like the, the sort of, I don't know how, what, what to call it. If it was like a spiritual awakening or something, I mean, I don't want to, there's pretty a lot of terms that don't suffice for things like that, but you kind of had a, a shift in your life. So we're always interested in talking about that kind of thing. Oh yeah. I think a lot of us have. So yes, I'm an artist and filmmaker and I have a kind of background working in Hollywood kind of in different um, multi-disciplines as an artist, kind of in various areas of post-production on big production studio movies. And then I've also kind of worked in the kind of LA slick commercial industry and then kind of the game cinematic industry because games are becoming so cinematic these days. And I still kind of have one foot in that, but yeah, these days I've kind of become more of a independent filmmaker slash researcher. And a lot of my kind of subject matter is kind of focusing on kind of more philosophical things and kind of not so mainstream things that are kind of trying to be a bottom-up paradigm and kind of the opposite of the Hollywood top-down paradigm because, of course, Hollywood is so kind of, it's pros and cons, but it's so celebrity worship and kind of, you know, champagne red carpet dreams. And it creates culture <laughs> for people that not it isn't necessarily always the greatest culture because, of course, so many Hollywood movies are just kind of always the same thing over and over again with a nice rapper. But it's like, you know, every Hollywood movie, it's like, oh, here's the oh, we've got a giant monster send in the military and, or, like, or like, here's my next pitch. We got, we got aliens send in the military or like, oh, we got an army of zombies send in the military. It's like, that's every Hollywood big budget movie for, for the most part. Yeah, well, not it's to like, get too conspiratorial, yeah. but, but did you notice that a lot being in Hollywood that the, the D&D, like the Department of National Defense has a role in, in all this? I guess I didn't work on any big studio movies as an artist that were like, kind of massive world is ending military destruction stuff. But I, it's funny you ask that because I know that there are certain uh, productions that get made that have the backing of the military because of the kind of raw, raw, you know, jingoistic aspect of how they portray our strength and might through defense and things like that. And yeah, very yeah. kind of a lot of movies kind of feel like they're almost recruitment pieces because then you think you're going to go into the military and you're going to be like, having super you know you're going to be shooting guns in slow motion covered in like anamorphic flares and you know it's it's like this dynamic of like you think you're going to be in a hot shit movie type thing or you're, it's going to have that flavoring to it when of course it's so much different than that right, so right I, I think that there are certain elements where certain mm -hmm. movies just become very kind of uh mouthpieces for that mm. so but yeah it's like you said I, it was funny because i did work on several productions in the system that were surprisingly um, had themes in them that were surprisingly deep, considering the mainstream element of them. You know, things mm -hmm. like yeah, the Matrix. I didn't work on the original Matrix, but I worked on the Matrix sequels and Avatar and things like that that have much kind of are you kind of use allegory to tell kind of things of deeper meaning. Which is, of course, now that what I'm trying to do is more of an independent filmmaker, and I think any artist is trying to do when they go their own way is to try and do things that have more depth and more substance outside of the kind of usual show business because it's all show business from the top down of her show art. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Has yeah. it been pretty easy transition for you or has it been difficult? I mean, I know just from us starting the podcast that we had a couple ideas about it and it started to flow and it was surprisingly easy the way everything came together. And I heard you talking on one of your podcasts about, I think it was your guest and I'm going to, this is going to happen to me all night as I'm going to think, I'm not going to remember which guest when you were talking yeah. about these things, oh. but you were mentioning how once you, hit that path or find that, that, uh, maybe that meaning, that deeper meaning, it just happens real easy. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I went through several things where over, 
it wasn't like one specific thing that happened where I suddenly clicked. And then as people say, you know, you wake up and you realize something, it was just kind of a series of steps along the way, Yeah. but always being in kind of like a quest for the truth and, you know, hungry for knowledge um, and just kind of a sponge for substance and information, you know, inevitably kind of leads us on these paths of growth. So I wasn't, well, I was very lucky, you know, I wasn't indoctrinated in anything as a child and I would always kind of question everything. And just always in search for the truth kind of leads you to be, I think, inevitably like an autodidact, which, of course, is just a self-taught person. Hmm. And so on top of being kind of an artist and filmmaker, I've in recent years, I've kind of done my own kind of independent research into interesting areas of more kind of esoteric things that have led me down many rabbit holes. And I, that is now something that, of course, is affecting my work coming in from, you know, big production stuff. And having a skill set that's very kind of highly technical and highly specialized, or not, I don't want to say specialized, but I, I'm used to these kind of like very high bars for quality level. Yeah. So yeah. the kind of whole whole dynamic now is trying to put high quality level with the resources available, which are less resources than you know large budget things, but then put that into things that have more of this kind of philosophical depth and substance. That's the kind of dynamic for me, anyway. But, and, and you're writing some of this stuff too, right? Yeah, I do write. I, I write and I co-write. And, and writing, coming out of a, a, a paradigm where I haven't done as much writing. Yeah, writing that's kind of what I was wondering. Road, yeah. it's like, yeah. And that's the thing is that in order to be a really good writer, I mean, you have to read so much, right? And, and yeah. with, with technology today and the kind of rat race and the hamster wheel, it's like so little people read that much anymore. I mean, the statistics on people that buy books is very low. And then there's some other statistic that even those that buy books the amount of people that read the book or, <laughs> or even finish the book is really staggeringly low. So I think when you kind of, most of my kind of independent research, and we'll talk about some of the stuff that I've kind of researched yeah, yeah. the areas I'm getting into that are of course affect, affecting the work and affecting some of the information that I kind of disseminate. Like a, a lot of this stuff is just, um, it involves a lot of reading, right. And kind of a lot of self-study because yeah, yeah. I kind of come out of a, I guess you could say like kind of a liberal progressive background. And, and, you know, I, I, as, as I've kind of grown and I realized that the, you know, kind of little Hegelian dialectic of politics isn't really make, it doesn't really get us that many places in, in without kind of tiny little piecemeal reform. But I've kind of come to realize that basically through research that um, ultimately there's kind of this system in place that is inevitably kind of sc screwing people. And, and it's, it's corrupt. It's, yeah. Yeah, and it's corrupt. And we all kind of know that there's major problems that we have as a, as a society and as a culture. And people are kind of realizing that a lot of this stuff is systematic and things can't kind of continue in the ways that they have. So as things change and evolve, it's like we have massive growing pains with them. But a lot of what I've kind of found through my own just kind of independent study has led me to conclude that kind of, you know, people are, are essentially programmed into a, a false version of reality. And it's basically because of a false version of history that a lot of people have been fed through many different dynamics and uh, a false version of kind of what they're really doing here and where they ultimately really came from. So people are kind of locked into this old system. And I mean, we all know people that are at certain various levels of understanding this. And, yeah. you know, you guys probably on this podcast are in a search for finding other areas of more interesting information. And, um, this is, a, uh, I think, a growth process for all of us, right? Because most people, sadly, kind of aren't doing much growth, and they seem to be completely content with kind of doing the business as usual, like 
job every day and then popping a beer and sitting on the couch. But you guys obviously are, are spending your, you might be doing that on occasional evenings, but tonight you're sitting in your basement talking to like a guest about weird shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I noticed that with people that people, even people that are open-minded about other alternate uh, views of reality or history, even if they're open-minded, they don't always want to go there. Like they, it's just too comfortable or maybe they're too content or, or it scares them. Like I know, you know, my mom, for example, she's, she follows sort of like the mainstream politics thing. And I always talk to her about yeah. these bigger picture things. And, and sometimes she just says, I just don't want to, I don't want to go there. Like, even though it might be real and she's very open-minded about it, she just mm-hmm. doesn't want to mm-hmm. go there. I think there's a, there's a fear that like, okay, even if a lot of that is true, then, you know, that the political <clears throat> parties don't matter. All the stuff is just distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like, I think there's probably a helpless feeling or a, or a real deep disappointment of like, there's nothing really we can do. Yeah. I mean, and that's a disempowering trick that I can't think this kind of system that I just kind of, you know, referred to does. It's basically like, I mean, the way that I kind of could describe this thing is that it's kind of a construct that essentially the entire industrialized first world is this kind of system that's been put in place over, you know, a very long period of time. You could call it, I guess you could call it kind of a, a program or a matrix, or it's it's basically a, a monetary construct, uh, a corporate system that has essentially commoditized everything, right? It's like the natural, the natural world's commoditized. All the creatures and inhabitants of the world are commoditized. Even its inhabitants, the people are commoditized. And this has kind of been going on for thousands of years. And if you, you know, look at every level of our culture in, you know, kind of, and this affects uh, countries across the board, right? It affects America. It affects you guys in Canada. It affects all of Europe. It's like mm-hmm. the entire industrialized first world. It's all kind of uh, the the crown and Rome from many years back. And if you look at every level of it, um, economic, cultural, societal, um, legal, educational, this system has kind of its talons in all of this. And it's, it's kind of a, a, I'd say it kind of stems from way back when, but a lot of it is kind of this Roman empirical system, right, of empire. And it seems like back in the day, it was very obvious that if you said something that the machine or the empire didn't like, they just, you know, if we were having this conversation 150 years ago, we'd be boiled in oil. <laughs> and if we were having this conversation 100 years, they'd probably still try and, you know, hang us by the gallows or something so what's nice about brown would be a witch for sure a hundred years ago (laughs) so what's nice about the time that we're living in is we're kind of going from two bar signal or you know one bar signal of what you could say we'll get into consciousness but now we're going to kind of like five bars on the cell phone signal where uh the internet exists there's a dissemination of information people everybody has a, a a ability to get out there and get to good information and there's a lot of bad information that's flooded over the good information. Yeah. But kind of, you know, regardless of where you are in the kind of political spectrum of left or right or whatever, you know, what whatever balance of anti or, or yeah, I should say pro-government or pro-corporation or anti-government or anti-corporation, when you're in that kind of Hegelian dialectic, which is this kind of, you know, um, problem action solution box of politics, it takes a, a growth process to kind of finally realize, and this is kind of maybe what I went through in recent times, is you kind of come to realize that this is all almost essentially one big giant thing together. It's kind of, I would almost say it's one big corruption. And the problem with it is it's basically 
antithetical to the human path, the natural human path of development, growth, and maybe you might even say divinity. So, yeah. yeah. The, the, the part I struggle with is how much of it is intentional and how much of it is systematic. Right. Well, I would actually go, I, the more I kind of learn, and again, I'm just kind of somebody that's done a lot of independent research on my own and used a, a key element of research is, of course, discernment. Discernment's yeah. a big one. Knowing what's kind of crap information, knowing what's outright propagandistic information, knowing what's just kind of woo-woo information, and kind of using your discernment to really find out what's legit and what's worth pursuing and what will lead you to, again, something that's more towards the truth. And as I kind of go on, I'm kind of starting to realize that this is a very intentional system. And I think it's a lot more by design than people have thought. And I, I mean, it's not like it's our fault either. It's just kind of like the this, the culture of kind of living in what is essentially a, a entire industrialized first world that is, this is across everything. I think it's just developed like this over thousands of years. And people have these kind of very, you know, short-term mindsets of, of profit and keeping people in these kind of low states of vibration. But this system, unfortunately, I mean, a lot of people aren't happy today. And that's, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but a lot of people are struggling in society and culture today. And I think in this kind of time-space vector of where we are in the universe, I think, you know, you guys have talked a lot about ancient civilizations and stuff. And a lot of my research has pointed towards things like, you know, procession that you know, the kind of mainstream business as usual history version, talk about, you know, how history has been rewritten is that we're at a high, the highest point of our evolution or our development. And I kind of am coming to buy more and more the mindset that we're on kind of a cycle of time. And that in the past, you know, if you go back, it's, it's like you look at these ancient sites, you look at the pyramids and, you know, you look at something like Gubekli Tepe, which is just completely shattered <laughs> the, the history of what we what we are. Yeah. You know, you look, it's like almost when we go further and further backwards, we find that we've had more sophisticated ways of doing construction and building. So that just kind of shows that societally, it seems like I think we're coming out of a dark ages, but we're only kind of like one foot out of the dark ages. So this system, I think, is kind of a relic of being in those dark ages. And um you know, one one thing that I think it does is it kind of tricks a lot of people into believing that they are more free than they really are. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, again, it, it penetrates everything. So it's not um, the 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 problem with it is that people are not conscious that they are kind of spiritually incarcerated, right? And cultural institute. I think one of the major problems that kind of people in today's society do is they make the the mistake of thinking that some sort of cultural institution cares about them as an individual, as a person. And, you know, there's varying levels of cultural institutions that are certain, you know, some of them are outright slimy and some of them are trying to do a good thing. But I think uh, the classic example is somebody that's like worked on an assembly line at the factory for, for 30 years and thinks that that is somehow going to, um, that that institution as a somehow whole. Somehow fulfill of, them or cares about them or. Yeah, has like loyalty to what's happened in the past. So this kind of, you know, again, back to the kind of like how people have varying levels of like government versus corporations. I think, again, you kind of come to realize that, well, the government is just one giant corporation. It's all kind of one big corporate thing. So it's kind of a global corporatized economic <laughs> model. And I think that one word that this system doesn't want people to know about is corporatized, right? Because you look around you and I think everything is essentially just very corporatized. And I mean, I use the kind of metaphor sometimes of like, 
when you used to drive across the United States, there'd be all these kind of small local businesses. And, you know, you'd go into your little local mom and pop shop and um, you'd, you'd buy your groceries from the per person that owns that shop, maybe lived above the shop. And now these days, it's like everything's this massive, everything's become this massive mega thing. And the resources are going to much, you know, fewer people. So um, it's definitely this kind of hierarchical dynamic. And, you know, like you said, Graham, I mean, many intelligent people don't want to think or acknowledge or know that kind of a force is curbing human development as a whole. And that's kind of something that when you realize you pretty much you, you get to a state where you realize that because the system exists, a lot of things are quite backwards and upside down from what you originally thought they were. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, it's like the more monopolized it gets, the shittier it's going to get for the average person, right? The more control they have, the less fair wages are going to be. And, and you know what I mean? Pretty soon it's going to be you. There's like 40 different companies you can work for and that's it, right? The food industry exactly. is three of them. And then, yeah. you yeah. know, there's three yeah. places to buy cars from, but they're all owned by the same person. The problem is whenever you talk about this with people, they all automatically want to throw you in a camp and say that you're like socialist because you, you know, you talk about the monopoly of corporations. <laughs> well, I, in terms of, I mean, social, so, socialism is such a funny word because uh, yeah. anybody that's like, you know, back kind of down into the Hegelian dialectic box, but like, Anybody that you hear that's kind of says this anti-socialist thing typically wants socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor. That's kind of the dynamic. So it's like, where do you want your socialism in the political spectrum? There's somebody right now that's running for president in the United States named Bernie Sanders, who's a political independent in the United States. And yeah. Bernie, you know, out of very few people in politics, I mean, I think Bernie is somebody that's authentically, genuinely, tr genuinely trying to help people and not just be a puppet for somebody else. But, you know, Bernie is a self-described democratic socialist. So Bernie's mindset is like, I would like to, you know, use the social good for towards the people. So it's kind of like, where do you want your socialism? You know, where do you want your socialism in the balance of kind of capital and social? And I think a trick is that people just throw out socialism as a blanketed negative thing when um, in reality, it's kind of like they, they are happy to have socialism for billionaires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speak, <laughs> speaking of that, this is, this is hard to articulate, but obviously uh, there's been this control system over, let's say, thousands of years even, but there's got to be this huge acceleration even over the last decade or two with, with actually technology and the stock market and all this. Like We had a couple guests on. We're talking about the trillions of dollars in, in getting traded in derivatives. Like that must be creating like hundreds of trillions, like not just, you know, a few trillion here and there, but yeah, at the highest level, this economic game that's being played is making a lot of people very rich, like way more than, than even in the, you know, seventies or eighties when they started to really change the banking system, especially here in Canada. But, but, um, do you wonder, there's gotta be also a new breed of these, you know, these ultra elites as well like and i wonder if there's a struggle at the top or if some of these people that do make uh you know billions and trillions off of off of uh figures in the computer basically if they're gonna yeah. be if there's gonna be some sort of change of the guard as well like i mean there could be a chance that that some enlightenment comes out of that you know kind of like a, a sort of a conflict at the top of these financial elites maybe you know i mean there's even the you know, Russia and China and Brazil creating their own banking system in some ways. And there's, there's, it seems to me like there's kind of a struggle at the top as well. Well, it seems like, yeah, technology, a, a pro side of technology. I mean, again, pros and cons with everything. And, and a pro side of technology is it makes 
access to information so much better, right? And so you look at like situations going on right now. At the time we're doing this podcast, there's a lot going on with like police brutality throughout the United States, and of course, like African Americans being you know very commonly target for police situations. And and this is all stuff that's always gone on. It's just now technology allows us to kind of it's making everything more transparent and it's allowing everything to kind of come to the surface more. Right. And so you look at things like the stock market where there's always been kind of, you know, people trying to do decent things on the stock market. And then there's been a massive amount of kind of corruption on the stock market. And it's just so obvious now with kind of the old systems kind of crumbling that the it's almost like I almost want to use I, mean, I want to use the Patrick Swayze Roadhouse metaphor <laughs> <laughs> of like it's got to get worse before it's get, it gets better. Right. So you see things in meltdown before the kind of like it's darkest before the dawn. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like it's got to collapse before it can be rebuilt. Yeah. And, and and collapse is a whole I mean, that's a whole seven hour conversation with like peak oil and all that. And and what I what I hope for uh, moving on to better paradigms is that it's not just like zombie apocalypse. We're all fucked overnight and we've got to, you know, stash stash beans in the basement and, and, and store ammo. But it's more of a very long transitional period where as things melt down and people are really struggling financially, it's like, well, you're forced to do more authentic things. You're forced to, you know, know your neighbors more and work more locally and go eat it, you know, shop at farmer's markets and things like that. You know, stuff can't be shipped thousands of miles. So there's definitely silver linings in everything. But it's it's funny you mentioned the stock market, man, because you guys, some of the things that you talk about on this podcast, I mean, you've talked about orbs and you talk about UFOs and, you know, Easter Island heads. And uh, you've probably talked about Sasquatch a bit in there. The funny thing is that yeah. these things, when you talk about backwards and upside down, you will realize as you kind of go down uh, a path of research you come you come to realize that there's a lot more truth in some of these things than the than the stock market i mean the stock market is just an abstract creation made by man and it has no tie to anything in 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 nature and so yeah like you said man it's like people make gazillions of dollars by staring at abstract numbers in this complete artificial system all day so the the thing about this system and this whole kind of overarching thing is that it's all about retracting human consciousness, mm, yeah, right? And, yeah. and one one kind of phrase that I adopted um, a little, I don't know, I, I just said it on a recent episode of the podcast and I kind of keep coming back to it a bit, is that I think human beings are, we have a lot of work to do as a species. And, you know, obviously there's, we especially with in terms of environmental things, but consciousness is a major element to the environmental game because um, in terms of like moving on to, if we can make it to a type one civilization, are you familiar with this Kardashian Kardash yeah. scale? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like type one's like star power, right? No, I think type, that. Yeah, I think type one was like where you've you've made it past fossil fuels and you're in a completely kind of um, you're in Solar a sustainable mode, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're in a sustainable society where you're you're not at the verge of destroying yourself and turning the entire planet into just this weedy lot. So it's like if a species can make it to a type one civilization, then the possibilities are endless because then it's like from there on, it's like Star Trek, right? Then you can explore the stars. So I think, and then I think a type two civilization is like the society that goes on and, and goes to out into space. So type, I think we're at type zero right now, which is basically like burning fossil fuels and trashing the planet. So I think if we can t make it to type one without killing ourselves, you know, the possibilities are endless, but 
human beings are, are inherently really good, fundamentally good. And the problem when you live in this system, this kind of construct, this program, is that people are turned into kind of, I guess I just say this term, childish asleep robots. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like the, the fucking decline of civilization will be carried out by people just doing their jobs. Like, yeah, it's just it was, like, hey, man, it's my nine to five. <laughs> it, well, there you go. That's the robot aspect of childish asleep robot. I, I use the term childish in the sense that there's this word neoteny, which is essentially childlike traits in adults. And as you kind of learn more, you kind of realize that so many people are just little kids in adult outfits, right? And a lot of it stems from not having like direct experience with things, just kind of having other people tell them stuff and then assuming that that is fact, right? Like some guy on the television who's wearing a suit tells you something and you assume it's true. Or you go into some building and somebody tells you something and you just take that and assume it's true. You, no, nobody has their own direct experience with things. And then the kind of, yes, like you, like you said, Darren, I mean, the robot aspect is this just kind of autopilot spinning your wheels and then before you know it, you're dead, right? And, and that would be like, I've just got, done my nine to five job every day and maybe I've barely taken a week or two off a year and it's just work, 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 work. This, we went through billions of years of evolution um, so that I could sit in this cubicle all day, right? So that's kind of, and then I, it's like, I go to my cubicle, I'm a robot, I go to my cubicle every day and I sit on the freeway every day and, and I am a robot for this system. And again, you know, we all have to make a living in this society and I totally understand that, I respect that. And if you've got commitments you've made to family and things, of course, your degree of what you need to do, the balance of that is is there, of course. But I think this this system kind of makes it so that you, it falsely makes you think that you need to do, a, a, the balance is totally out of whack, right? I think and that's it, evolving though, don't you? Like, it, it seems like when I look at it, it seems like, 30 40 50 years down the road it's like i think the the workforce is going to turn into something more i think as things become more technologically based i think the workforce will become more passion based you know what i mean there's not going to yeah. be people fucking digging ditches and stuff like that anymore right 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 well just I think it's, like robots do it yeah and i think you're already seeing that with people i think like people who are starting to make a living off podcasts or off blogging or off you know selling their trinkets that they make online and things like that. I think that's just the start of, of a big revolution that we're going to see over the next few decades. Yeah, but our, but our economy can't, can't support that, though. That's the problem. Yeah, know? well, that's old paradigm, though, I'd say. You know, I, I, there's a definite argument to be have about, had about automating stuff. And, you know, an example is, like, I guess McDonald's has been able to, like, automate their assembly line for, a very, for quite a while, and they are slowly doing it not so overnight that it freaks people out. Yeah. <laughs> then you look at like the automization of I, I'm all for automization. If it gets rid of kind of shitty jobs that don't allow a human being to do anything remotely creative or growth based, you know, like if you're working at the, you know, if you're, if you're a teenager and you're working at like the cell phone stand at the mall selling like rhinestone cell phone cases, I mean, that's cool. But ultimately it's like, that's a job that could be done by vending machine or like, you know, there's, there's, Jobs that are like, you know, you're a checker at the grocery store. I mean, that's that's great. That's cool. But then, you know, now we're seeing this automization of like checkout line things. So it's like, I, I'm happy to have those things be automated if those people then aren't out of work and struggling, if they're then allowed to go off and do more interesting, creative things that allow their lives to be better. But in current paradigm, old paradigm, it's just like that person's out of a job. So I know what you mean, man. 
Yeah, but that seems like that's just something we made too, right? Like fucking, we could really sort that out if we really wanted. No, to. I don't like, think who gives can. a shit about the economy? I no, because because it's because if that it's shit's, if that like shit's automated, then the cost of the shit should go down over time, and then it should all sort of, you know, I don't know, even out. I don't think it's that. Uh, yeah, I think our our we're stuck in the system that we have for a while before before that really starts to happen. Yeah, like, and that's the transition aspect, yeah, right? Yeah, like that's a slow to, change. Yeah, fast yeah. change is fucking <laughs> meltdown and then rebuild. <laughs> fast change is zombie apocalypse. That could yeah. still happen. I mean, the, geez, the meltdown could still happen, though. I mean, uh, we're, I think we're still living in a in a bubble, and if it happens again, like two thousand and eight, uh, you never know. It might get uh, you know a little worse. Occupy might be like ten times occupy, and who knows what'll happen. But what about the chances of something like technology when it gets to the point where you got three D printing and things like that are so cheap that, and maybe you know some new form of energy comes along that you're not paying the hydro man anymore. You know what I mean? It seems like that could sort of sort itself out too. Like maybe we're only a few generations away from me being able to download something off the internet that I can print out on my three D printer. And fucking put it in a bucket of water in the basement, and now I have power. Yeah, we probably can do that. I mean, there's this term called boxed technologies. I know you guys have talked about some of these things on the podcast before, but a, a boxed technology is a technology that's ahead of its time that has been intentionally kept from <laughs> development, right? So the classic example of this is a lot of the stuff that like Nikola Tesla, Tesla was yeah, developing. Yeah. Or another one is a gentleman named Wilhelm Reich. Yeah, so if you yeah. look at those two, if you look at those two guys' work, and you know both of those guys were light years ahead of their time, yeah. not perfect, but amazing people. You look at how they ended in, you know, the old hat paradigm. You know, they ended with kind of really sad endings for both of those guys. But both of those guys, I really suspect, have had technology boxed where the men in black come in and shut you down, and keep shit from you know going into things that will move us on to better systems and better ways of doing things. And I kind of use the, the last thing of the kind of childish asleep robot thing is just the asleep part where people don't realize that they're in this system that is a kind of complete abstract artificiality. And a lot of people kind of use the matrix metaphor for that. But um, yeah. That's so. a, no, that's a great example because I've, I've been wanting to actually dig into that a little bit deeper on a, on a separate show is, is the box technology because that's the type of thing that when you try and tell people that's really what they they just really can't wrap their heads around that they they just it's all conspiratorial and all oh, we've never had energy that's worked or free energy or anything like that but you know there is a lot of people that have been there's story after story about people that have been you know suppressed or repressed or their labs mm -hmm. have been burned down or broken into or whatever and and uh, that's gone somewhere that's being used somewhere and you got people like you know richard dolan talking about the secret space program and his breakaway civilization and guys have done decades of research on that and their conclusion is coming to like look this is all happening somewhere and that's probably an explanation for a lot of the ufo sightings and it's not you know all aliens but there's definitely somebody else flying the shit around our earth mm -hmm. and that's probably where it's coming from these box technologies so mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a pretty important piece of the puzzle i think yeah yeah i mean there's when you look at the ufo paradigm is interesting i mean i'm not you know, I can only kind of speak of things that I've had direct experience with, and I have not ever seen a UFO with my own eyes. But some of the footage I have seen that having a background in the background that I do, I could certainly kind of v validate the authenticity of some of this footage that I've just, you know, seen on online. Yeah, yeah. You see some stuff that you're like, okay, there's no way that that is either 
not something that's come from somewhere else or come from some other time, or it's a technology that's existed for quite a while here and we're not accurately given the timeline as to what the technology is. I think that there's definite technologies that exist now that we don't realize are in existence. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. That's, yeah, that's exact evidence of that. But to, to talk about, I mean, to talk about this system, not to bum anybody out. I mean, let's talk about like a way that's kind of a counter to this. And this is kind of why I have in, in my kind of path, I've kind of started to kind of stumble across this, this philosophical path, right? And so philosophy, I mean, that kind of, if you're doing it in kind of the academic sense, I mean, we all probably had a philosophy class in university or something that was dreadfully boring. Yeah. You know, it's like you were studying Nietzsche or Heidegger, or just kind of about existentialism. And it was just kind of all abstractions and just kind of Snorville or whatever. But we sure and, didn't talk about that in welding school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But in kind of the mainstream, again, business as usual, reality tunnel, we're presented with kind of two different modalities, right? And, and these are kind of the two primary pillars that people come at, again, based on your political background or whatever side of the spectrum you're on, that explain or at least at attempt to explain or do their best to explain like the nature of reality or where we came from. And those are, of course, science and religion. Right. And and, you know, religion is has some has some good aspects, but a lot of it is these days very kind of indoctrinating and dogmatic and based on certain things that are like I said, I, I see whenever you drive across the United States, you see all these um, Jesus saves things up in various places along the roadway. And I, I'd love to replace all those Jesus save things with uh, with a sign that says smoke DMT. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or eat these mushrooms. That should be like, I vote, that should be like part of high school, man. That's how you graduate. Before you graduate, you got to take a hero dose full of mushrooms and go in a forest. Now, now, well, let's talk about this. I mean, what is the difference between a sign that says Jesus saves and a sign that says smoke DMT? The difference between those two things is the Jesus saves sign wants you to look outside of yourself right elsewhere for something that may or may not exist someone that may or may not exist and the smoke dmt sign is about your own direct experience right so it's all about your direct experience with things and then you know we look at something like science which has brought us like huge advancements um and is very it has been you know very beneficial to society in a lot of ways and we certainly don't want to be anti-scientific and bring in a new era of kind of irrationality, right. but a lot of science can be a bit dogmatic as well. Oh, and a lot totally. of scientists are on their kind of ivory tower and science is very materialistic and reductionist. So if you ask the typical scientist to smoke DMT or eat mushrooms, they'll be like, you're crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so we have this, this, this paradigm, this dynamic, and it's kind of the creationist mindset versus the Darwinian mindset. And, you know, Carl Sagan and Cosmos did a, you know, very, a nice thing that he did was that he had um, he brought science to people in a very kind of almost spiritual way in in some aspects of that show. And a common thing that happens is that some a person based on their background has a certain balance of one of these two things. You know, if you're typically very conservative, you're oftentimes very quite religious. And if you're very, let's say, liberal, you're oftentimes purely just in, you know, based on science explains everything. This is in kind of business as usual land. 
And a common thing is that if somebody's been completely indoctrinated into some religious system, they'll go all the way to the other side where they'll then become an atheist. So that's kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I'd say. But the thing that I've kind of come to realize through my research, and this is what nobody will tell you, and you kind of have to figure out on your own, is that there's a third modality, <laughs> is this basic natural path that human beings are meant to go on. Yeah, divine maybe even. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is the path of spiritual philosophy. Yeah. Which sounds kind of, again, dreadfully boring, but, you know, let's talk about it a bit. So um, a, a big important thing for me kind of as the time went on was separating spirituality from religion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because we are all very much spiritual beings. And the more you kind of have direct experiences with, let's say, mushrooms, for example, you have very spiritual experiences at times. I mean, sometimes you won't get any effect out, out of it, but you'll get... That's the thing about an experience like that of a plant medicine is that this is a problem for the system because you're having a consciousness expanding direct experience that's showing you that this system is very artificial and doesn't make you want to go back to work the next day, or you have a hard time, you know, dropping back into the pipeline of kind of screwing widgets onto wonkets. You know, and you ask any kind of indigenous person, and they're oftentimes talk about spirits and spirituality, right? So an interesting paradigm is this paradigm of, of shamanism, which is, again, all about direct experience, yeah. because about experience over ideology. So in our kind of current dimension of reality, a, a sh what a shaman is doing is going up and down a ladder of multi-dimensions, of spiritual dimensions, and bringing you on that ladder to have an, a direct experience. Yeah. Because when you have that direct experience, you know, you're having a consciousness expanding experience, you're growing, you're in a growth process, and you're oftentimes bringing information back that is allowing you here to realize that things are not what they seem. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's so one that, of the, yeah, go ahead. No, that's one of the reasons why you know, I wanted to do this podcast, actually, and it's come up more and more lately is is the direct experience and i love how you talk about that third modality i was going to say the exact same thing that it's it's a spiritual it's a divine reality that's based on experience it's just what you said and and that's why a lot of the topics we talk about you know they end up being like the war on consciousness but they end up yeah. you know they end up having gravity and they're important because a lot of it is based on people's experience whether it's like Sasquatch UFOs or out of body or lucid, like crazy lucid dreaming experiences or near death experiences, or these all end up leading back, not all of them, but a lot of times they lead back to a spiritual uh, center, let's say. And it's, and it's uh, because reality, they realize people realize reality is not as it seems. Right. And it's for mm -hmm. some reason, they all kind of lead back to that. There's a divinity in the center, but a lot, that's why we love talking about it too, because thousands and thousands of people, like, I mean, I talk a joke around about Sasquatch and UFOs and people, you know, at work or wherever in day-to-day day -day life. And so many people have known people that have had experience and so many people have had experience, but there's still a lot of people that still kind of just, they're not totally negative against it. They just don't believe it yet. Right. But you right. can't ignore the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of direct contact experienced by people like it just you just can't ignore it you, i mean i'm not saying that i know what they are or that what the truth is about it but you can't just throw it in a in this materialistic bucket and just say ah oh, forget about it because we can't measure it or we don't believe these people like it's just so yeah. i find that we're not living 
in the par in in a matching paradigm. Like I find that the paradigm that we're all living in our day to day lives and with most of the people and most of the people that we know have had some of these experiences, we trust them, we believe them. It doesn't match the mainstream paradigm or this paradigm that we're supposed to be living. Like there's a big disconnect there. And I think that that middle is growing. Although, mm -hmm. although the ends seem to be getting polarized as well. I think there's a, there's a middle ground of people. And I, it's almost like a church of experience or something like that, but I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned it and you're talking about it. Cause I think it's, it's important. Like I've had things happen to me that I just know, okay, there's something going on here. Like this, you know, reality is not as it seems. And yeah. Uh, yeah and I'm open-minded to, to learning more about it. Well, the thing about, like you mentioned a church of experience, I mean, there's this term that I almost can't go a single podcast without bringing up, but there's this, there's this science fiction author, Theodore Sturgeon, who had this term Sturgeon's law. Are you guys familiar with this? this oh is, yeah. I don't think I am. It's brilliant, dude. It says that 90% of everything is crap. Okay. <laughs> so that, that applies to everything. I mean, it applies to filmmaking. It applies to, um, it applies to television, it applies to religion, it applies to cultural institutions, it applies to companies. So once you kind of sift through all the garbage, you know, there's 10% of everything that's really good. So, you know, you, you mentioned something like the church of direct experience. I would say those two things are diametrically opposed because a church is a cultural institution yeah. and a shaman, you know, who is in a little hut in the forest, you know, you have an experience with a shaman and it's your own direct experience. You don't need any cultural institution for that. You don't need to be in any massive mega structure that has, you know, a bunch of yeah. uh, a whole thing around it. So, yeah, there's a sarcasm to it, to, to the term, though. It's kind of like, a, what would you call it? Facetious yeah, or yeah, something right. in a like, way. It's like, like, like oh, the, you know. Oh, I was just going to say there. Yes, you could be kind of it, there's this. Sometimes when people talk about spirituality, there can be this kind of arrogance associated with it. So I, I know what you mean. But like. Oh, I mean, in, on the sense of like the shamans and spirit, you know, you ask any shaman, a theme that oftentimes a shaman will say is that our whole society, and you talk about this kind of system, is needing to reconnect with spirit, yes. right? Yeah. Which basically means that we need to be less materialistic. Yeah. We need, to, we need to stop buying crap that we don't need. That doesn't make you happy anyway. Yeah. It's like what Tyler Durden said, you know, this stuff just ends up owning you. And we need to, you know, kind of, be more um, concerned with kind of states of mind and Mindful, relationships yeah, with people. Yeah, 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 and our relationship with nature. I mean, it's all about, you know, instead of spending your weekend at the mall, spend your weekend hiking in nature and you'll probably have a better time. But this, like you said, man, I mean, this kind of center path, it's a path of growth. It's a path of realization. And it's the kind of beginnings of this waking up process where you kind of realize that, it's all about inner work and direct experience work. And it, once you start on this path, which I think that probably I have been on for a while, I suspect that you guys are on by doing this program and talking about all the subject matter that you talk about, mm -hmm. probably most of your guests are on. Yeah. And quite frankly, a lot of your listeners are probably on. They're kind of starting to be in this kind of more philosophical way of thinking and train of thought where they end up not wanting to plug in the 90% of regular stuff that's crap and are in a search for new things that talk about new ideas. And um, this kind of spiritual philosophic path, it's a path of direct experience because it's all about this experience over ide ideology. Yeah, yeah. And one thing about it is that it is a depolarizer, right? Like we talk about polarization. Are, yeah. you, are you guys <laughs> familiar? There's, are you guys familiar with natural law, the seven hermetic principles? Yeah, a, li a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
I heard you talk yeah. about most of them. I mean, we talk, it, a lot of it ends up going back to, you know, how you're, how you make the world, the world is mental and that type of stuff. And it is, you know, it manifests things and, um, yep. you know, the law of, what is it? There's uh, the law of attraction, the law of conservation. Probably there's a bunch of other ones, I think. Yeah, that's the principle of correspondence that right. you're talking about, yeah. which is, yeah. yes. But basically, yeah, from my, my memory, it's like vibration, cause and effect, yeah. polarity, rhythm, gestation, relativity, transmutation, I right. think. But yeah, like, yeah, the rhythm what, one was interesting, yeah. Yeah, and so what this what these are basically is like how everything in the universe works. And one of these things that we just mentioned is polarity. And what the people in the know, which are probably, you know, the ones running the system, you know, they know about this stuff. And so what they're doing is they're using the law of polarity to engage the Hegelian dialectic, which is infighting amongst political things, put you down in this little dialectic box to polarize you to go to one side of a spectrum or, or another. So a classic example of this is when somebody is, you know, at some political side and they're like, you know, fuck that guy on the other side of the aisle, blah, blah, blah. And so what's happening is when you're this polarized, you're much easier to control, right? So philosophy depolarizes you and allows you to be much more in a state of balance and solidity and you're harder to control. Yeah, it takes the blinders off. It takes the yeah. blinders off. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, when you have kind of knuckleheads infighting amongst stuff, it allows you to kind of float above that. And I guess uh, ego is a ego is an interesting one because ego is kind of a thing where when you start becoming more philosophical, you kind of realize that your ego is, you are, you're not at all what you think. And ego is just kind of, a. there's this term kind of ego dissolution or ego death, which is a, a, a part of this process, I guess you could say. But mm -hmm. as, as you go down this path, you know, life gets better and more richer and you oftentimes will inevitably bump up against things with this old way of doing things, right? Because yeah, yeah. You, you, you're on a quest for knowledge and a quest for growth and you don't want to go sit in your cubicle every day. So there's very few people in the old system that have a job that they really like, that they really enjoy. And again, it's all about balance. I mean, we all need to kind of make a living in the society. But when you become depolarized um, and more philosophical, it's like the old paradigms don't work on you anymore, right? So I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm like, I'm becoming to the point where it's like, I'm basically, in, it's impossible for me to, watch any sort of mainstream <laughs> i was just gonna use that exact example like yeah. I'll, I'll i'll binge watch uh, like really good programs but i can't i can't i can't watch mainstream television like i i i've tried recently just to see what's on there like yeah. experiment and it's really hard yeah well there you go Graham. you're becoming more philosophical so this yeah. is exactly it right like yeah. you like a television show that you may have watched three years ago that you're like, I can watch this. You'll go back and you'll sit down and you'll watch that. Like my wife still watches some of her shows and a few of them I used to watch with her. And now I sit down with oh. her and I look at it and I'm like, I can't even watch this. This is just so stupid. Yeah. And it's so like, it's just childish because it's appealing to this kind of childish robotness. And it's not like you're better than it, but you're basically your vibratory pattern is rising. Your consciousness is expanding. And so you guys have talked to so many people on this program about like a whole spectrum of stuff that those things don't talk about that. It's almost like you can't go back. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I wanted to, I want to ask you about how you think art and creativity plays into this like directly, because I, I, I heard your, um, I, I kind of emailed you about this, but when Darren and I were trying to get you on the show, um, I had heard your Palenque Norte lecture 
and yeah. it, it and it was right before I was going to Las Vegas. So talk about like a kind of a <laughs> could be a, a challenging place materialistically or you know right. that type of thing. But I I went there uh, and I haven't uh, I didn't drink at all while I was there. I haven't drank for quite a few years, so it was a, it wasn't like a normal Vegas trip. So, anyways, but I was listening to your lecture and and it really struck a chord with me about your you're talking about art and creativity and the meaning of it and the feeling of it. And, and, uh, when I was in Vegas, I went to three shows in, in three nights there and, and, and a couple of them affected me emotionally, like uh Cirque du Soleil type shows, right? They weren't actually Cirque, but very similar. And, and of course that type of, that type of art is made to affect you. Right. I mean, it's very, uh, what would you say? It's very. Have you been to any Darren lately? Cirque du Soleil. Went to the circus on Sunday. Uh, oh yeah, no, that doesn't count. Madison got that's to ride like, an elephant. That's like animal cruelty, buddy. That's way off. There was protesters. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, that's an example of like yeah. the circus. The circus is there to make money, and that's yeah. the primary goal is to make money. And the, yeah. the welfare of the elephants at the circus is not the primary goal of the circus. Yeah, exactly. So that's the that's the system, you know, that's putting its profits, its short term mindset before the well being of you know, its inhabitants of, you know, all of its living creatures. And so I know what you mean, man. I mean, something like Cirque du Soleil, where it's like, this is the balance of the kind of how you make money versus how you create something authentic. And everybody, this is, I think, been the struggle as old as time, right? Where, you know, you were commissioned by the church to paint something and you, 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 they wanted you to do something and you wanted to do something and you had to take the money to, to actually live and to eat and to pay your rent. And so that's the kind of struggle. And I, I that is, Something that I think anybody that's going through, oh, I'm in my job. I don't like my job. I want to be a musician. I'm playing music on the weekends. How can I make the leap from my day job to making money off my music? Yeah, yeah. And that is the struggle. And I think that's because we are in this paradigm where, you know, everything's about kind of, I mean, like Napoleon Hill, who wrote this book, Think or Grow Rich, you know, he had a, he had a great saying in the book where, it's not like money is the root of all evil. It's just kind of the love of money that's all evil. So money, and it's, it, it depends on how the intent is putting to, put into money. Yeah, but, what, what year did he write that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, the, and that's the thing is that it, you're not going to last very long in the current construct without struggle if you're not making money yeah. on your part. Yeah. And that's yeah. the struggle. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, exactly. How do you balance your your day life between um, making money and paying the bills versus doing your kind of creative ventures? Because I, I do talk about this on the podcast a bit. It's like, I think we all are inherently creative and it's like, we all have inherent creative outlets and anybody that doesn't think they're creative, I think they've had that smashed out of them by the system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you look at the, the, the reference of like any little kid that is just done you know i mean not every little kid likes to draw or paint but it's like a lot of there's a lot of innocence and youth and a lot of things that you see as a little person before you've get you get things indoctrinated into you or pumped into you and so that's an example of one thing where it's like yes the struggle of all of us being kind of creative as little people and then you end up going to college and or university and you get that smashed out of you so yeah. that is definitely yeah. a struggle man um, and yes, I did talk about that in that lecture quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, so so it took me off guard a little bit because I had your I had your podcast on my mind, right? And it was 
interesting because we haven't really touched on the depth of creativity and, and sort of like the artist way it, too much in, in the show. And uh, so I was watching these two sort of uh, Cirque du Soleil type shows and it's absolutely beautiful, right? Like two like yeah. muscular guys doing this balancing act, like, um, you know, just stuff that, and the music and everything put together would made it just very, very emotional. Right. You know, like brings a tear to your eye type thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not just about the, you know, perfectly chiseled guys bouncing off each other. Cause I'm not into that, but, but there's a, like Are a one sure? with a couple swinging on a rope. Like it's very, you know, like romantic and all like it, it, it gets you pretty deep. Right. And then the, what caught me off guard is I was at the Elton John concert and there was something about the drummer. <laughs> Darren's just giggling over here. And I'm not even an Elton John fan, but I mean, I know all his music, right? So I'm not, you know, I just, just there enjoying the show. I went for, I took my girlfriend cause she really wanted to go. And, uh, the drummer, this older drummer made such an impression on me. Like I totally started bawling. Like there was something he did in one of his little drum solos that was so perfect and so incredible that I just lost it. Like it was the weirdest, yeah. the weirdest thing. And it just really hit me like, what the fuck is going on here? Like this, this, he, he, he did, he had such a perfect artistry going with the, these big three drum sets and the, the way he would hit the tambourine and just keep everything going. Like it was absolutely the, the most perfect performance I've ever seen. And it just totally struck a chord with me. So I, I don't know yeah. what that, what I'm trying to get at, just that I realized the, the depth of emotion that pure art and creativity could, can, can bring well here's the thing with that i mean you talk about kind of commercialism and this you know i'm somebody that again i've had a foot in this system i'm kind of realizing it growing with it or growing out of it i would hope and i still have you know i've got one foot out of it one foot still in it and my foot that was still in it was i worked in the commercial industry in los angeles and so it's like that's a way that you make art that is selling stuff that's usually crap but it's a way that you are creating artwork that then is something you're actually getting paid for so it's like you find ways within the current paradigm as we hopefully move on to better things where you could, it'd be wonderful if we lived in a world where you could, you know, do these philosophical things and do your creative projects all day and you'd get, you wouldn't have to worry about paying the bills. But that's kind of, we're still in a system that keeps you on this treadmill and this hamster wheel where you have to always worry about, or you have to think that you're always worried. I yeah, should yeah, yeah, say. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're, you're tricked into giving away your consent. consent to think that you need to do these things. But in terms of like what you're saying with that, man, it's like, I mean, you talk about the corporatization of things when things are so corporatized, so many, so few people have all the resources that you look at something like a musician. I mean, there are, there are millions of artists out there that are trying to make money off their music and there's delivery systems now with, you know, direct to listener dynamics on the internet that's the pro side of technology for getting your stuff out there didn't used to be like that you used to had to go through the gatekeepers the gatekeepers are being bypassed but there's millions of people trying to make money off their music and you hear the same 50 people all the time on like the radio yeah. Oh, yeah. for the old dynamics yeah. so it's like that is the thing where it's like that in hollywood too you see the same 50 faces all the time only the same 50 people get you know mega opportunities in that old paradigm way of doing things and so that's totally like that's that just shows how kind of grossly consolidated it is. There's a, a a playlist of music that I've been downloading for years called the Blalox Indie Rock Playlist. I think the website the website is like birp.fm or something. And these playlists have new artists 
every month. It's a torrent file. It's like a non-naughty torrent file yeah. that you can download. And there's like a hundred songs by artists, and and like half of them are incredible. And you've never heard of any of them, and they're probably all struggling to make money off their music because we're all in this. We're coming out of this old system, and so it's like then you you, you know those are things that exist, and now we can have access to. And hopefully as time goes forward with like, yes, these new ways of doing things, we can deliver our content directly to people and hopefully make a living off of it, or at least, yeah, move on to better things while still being creative. So, um, Seems yeah. like it's starting, like things like YouTube and even podcasts. Like, I think it's almost like podcasts are probably leading the way in that regard of taking over taking over radio new media as far as new media goes but i don't think youtube's far behind like there's a ton of youtube only Mm -hmm. shows that are getting you know millions and billions of hits like what is that that young turks or whatever they're doing tons and you got podcasts like rogan that are getting millions and millions of downloads and no agenda and it's just yeah it seems like that's another way that the internet will kind of help starting to eke us forward. It seems like music's a tough one, though. Yeah, it it's is. so that's easy like... to... It's like the only way it can work... I think micropayments can somehow help with that, too, someday down the road. Like, if people can, you know, pay a couple of fractions of a cent or something like that over... Yeah, as opposed over... to having to buy albums or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's probably going to start happening. Yeah. Well, well... This is the thing with this with this setup, this kind of construct, you know, the matrix is that you it, you have to it, it tells people that you either have to get with the program, which is normal, which is what the society expects, or you have to go your own way and struggle. Right. So it's either like the path of normality, the path of like business as usual or the path of one. And that path is a hard path because it requires going out into open water. And you don't know when you're going to hit land next. So most people aren't willing to do that because it's like most people aren't going to quit their job to pursue some sort of creative venture in this dynamic because it's hard to do and you don't know if it's going to pay off, right? It could have huge payoffs or you could crash and burn. The thing about it also is that, you know, you can talk about philosophy till the cows come home, but how do you apply philosophy to your real life? If you're doing it in some sort of like academic institution or something, that's, you know, I don't want to just say boring, but a lot of the times when you know you have a philosophy class or something that's just kind of talked about in the abstract and it's not really talking about how you can actually apply it a spiritual philosophic path because again we are all spiritual beings is kind of a wormhole that opens you up to all sorts of things so a lot of the stuff that you guys talk about just like you said Graham with out of body experiences or like neuro linguistic you know programming or all this kind of weird esoteric shit a lot of this is all about, it's all like delivery systems to get us to similar places. And that's to realize this kind of spiritual element of us. And it's hard because people aren't willing to do, I'm just probably on the very early steps of this. And mm-hmm. I know that through time, you know, people, the machine has tried to kind of crush this spiritual development out of people because it, again, it makes you a lot harder to control and it makes you um, you're kind of inoculated against, I, I mean, I basically it's like, you can't even, again, old things don't work on you. So you grow out of this whole system of kind of repression and being crushed. So the further you go down this path, it will ultimately lead you more towards esoteric things. Yeah. I want to, I want to, at some point here, get into how, how virtual reality will, will, uh, will either help us get there or hinder us. 
But I and I also want to talk. I also <laughs> yeah. want to talk about at some point too because you've been to Burning Man as well, right? Once I think. I went and, once. And I kind of yeah. wanted to talk to you about that as well because I've. That's something that we haven't really talked about a lot here. Is that whole culture of the, the fest, the sort of the festival culture and the. And it sounds pretty fascinating. Like it sounds like you have a lot of conversations like this with people. Uh, attending those so i don't know where yeah. you want to go first with that but yeah no no well it's interesting because i mean <laughs> i did a <laughs> the virtual reality is a weird one because like silicon valley and hollywood are going bonkers at the time that we're doing this podcast over virtual reality and there's new technologies with virtual reality you know there's several different um technologies coming about one being this oculus this other being this google venture magic leap that are basically like these new ways of doing what is essentially uh, a experience where you put on a headset and you have this kind of like, it's all stereo 3d and you have this virtual re reality experience. And I did this talk at Palenque Norte that was about visualizing um, using artificial ways to visualize what you see in a psychedelic experience. And the kind of gist of the talk was how unbelievably impossible that is right now. <laughs> and you know, you talk about something like a, a, a stereo 3D headset. All of this stuff, I've come to realize, is like the 99 cent store of taking LSD. <laughs> and yeah. So because, you know, you go back to something that's like uh, a psychedelic experience, which is your own direct experience. And this is, you know, a, a paradigm uh, that the machine had to crush in the 60s because people were having these, you know, dropping acid in Golden Gate Park, having expansive consciousness expanding experiences which this spiritual philosophic path is it's an expansion of your consciousness and they've always tried to crush this um that type of stuff with basically what's happening now with technology is we're repeating with our technology what we have inherently been able to do with our plant technologies you look at something like the cloud right which is essentially like you you upload your files somewhere that is essentially just like the akashic records right? yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. we're re repeating things that are already have existed. Yeah. So I, I use the kind of metaphor of like, when you have a, a mind blowing psychedelic experience and, you know, not to get specific with tech, but some of my most profound ex experiences have been like unbelievable resolution, unbelievable color spectrum, undescribable frame rate. And you look at something, you put an Oculus Rift on right now, and it's like the super crude version of that that people are going bonkers over. Yeah. But we're getting to this point where we're kind of starting to repeat these things that we inherently are able to do ourselves, but the machine doesn't want you to know that you can do because you're going to be having an expansion experience and you're going to be coming back realizing like, this is bullshit. <laughs> So there's, it's funny because it's like, it's being sanctioned now where it's like, we're allowed to have an experience that we haven't always inherently been able to have, but they haven't let us have one way, but we're having it in the kind of the technological way that's much more um, controlled, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about Maybe it with some of our guests. Like the, the optics are okay, but it's some of the feelings, you know what I mean? Like there's some of the emotions yeah. tied with the psychedelic experience that'll never be recreatable. Yes. Well, well, no, no, I think they can be like if, if the VR experience is, is good enough and it's, and it's developed in that way, I think it could be repeated. I don't think so. Man. I, don't, I think, I don't think that could be programmed, but you don't get ASTMR or that. What's that, that, uh, that acronym for that brain orgasm that, that I get when I'm listening to some certain music or something like when that. You're listening to music with chiseled dudes. <laughs> 
No, but I, I think that the VR experience could, could do that. Like my sister works for Cloudhead Games and they are uh, developing uh, sort of like a, uh, a oh, what's the, what's the, what's the name of that uh, old, uh, that old video game called Mist? Is it Mist? Mist, yeah. It's yeah. like that type of thing, but it's super, like you're talking about, like really good resolution. They've won sound awards already, like really good sound. I mean, if you can be immersed in that environment, um, it can affect you physically. And if it can affect you physically, then that can trigger all kinds of, I don't know, like spiritual awakening experiences, I think, especially if it's, uh, if it's not about shooting and, and killing in the game. But anyways, I wanted to mention uh, the technology they're using too is um, Vive. It's called it's sort of, it's like, it's like an Oculus uh, Oculus's competitor, I guess from valve. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of valve, the, the oh, yeah. game, the game company. I'm not, a, I'm not a gamer. So this is all like totally new to me. Um, and they have this lighthouse technology. So basically it can be played within a room. So you're walking around and the, and the, it actually judges where you are in the room. So it's a completely new technology for interacting in that environment. Mm, yeah. Well, again, it's just kind of like, it's a way to submerse yourself in something that could be distraction or could be a very positive reality tunnel experience. It's all based on the stories and the content that are created. So right. the virtual reality is just kind of a tool to get you there. But the thing about, like, you know, Darren's saying, it's all about feeling your experience if you're having some sort of, like, you know, and let's say for those that aren't familiar, I mean, shamanism is basically a practice where you are guided through an experience where you take a plant medicine, and it could be any plant medicine. I mean, I think, for my knowledge, any any psychedelic or plant medicine can be shamanized. So the shaman is guiding you through an experience after you take the medicine that then is allowing you to have hopefully a very, if done properly with, you know, proper respect and set and setting, have a huge expansive experience and then bring information back that allows you to hopefully cure something or better yourself. And the virtual reality version of that is like the 99 cent store version currently, but it will get much better. But I think there will always be a separation between the inherent like realness of a true um, experience that you've had with something that's of kind of the guy and mother a plant versus something that's just kind of a, a sterile hardware technology. So I think it's all about if you're using these kind of virtual spaces in the future as kind of stepping stones to maybe more authentic plant experiences, that'd be interesting. I, I'd, I'd love to see, you know, more cultural acceptance into obviously um, as hopefully the old systems kind of continue their <laughs> slow meltdown and we move on to better systems, hopefully. And there's a lot of work to be done with that. Um, and I think a major part, like I've, as I've talked about is everybody doing the inner work on themselves of this kind of inner philosophical work and growth and just always being willing to expand and learn and question everything and be like kind of a, in a quest for knowledge. And again, nothing's off the table. It, then, you know, as people do more of that, then people will create of more substance that then, you know, virtual reality experience can go in and, and teach you things that are maybe not quite as profound, but somewhere on the same ballpark one day. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but maybe one day, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Remember, we were talking with those. Who were we talking with, Darren? I can't remember now. But about uh, we were talking about VR, and and I was mentioning this kind of side of it, and they were like, "No, no, no, it's going to be like take us just deeper into the materialistic aspect of things." But I think I think you're right. It could be both. I think it could be either. I mean, we're getting to to the point now where they've got already got like it hasn't even really come out commercially available, and it's they've got full body tracking now and a full-on hd immersive environment like it's not far from 
given you a pretty damn crazy experience. Yeah. And it, the downside of that is that most of it's used to go back to like Hollywood where it's just like, there's, there's zombies bringing the military Yeah, yeah. that it's like, we're in, we're in <laughs> Oculus space and yeah, there's you're zombies right. behind the military. And that's the depth of the substance. It's all baby pool in terms of the actual substance. No, you're right. I mean, I bet you 90% yeah. of it's going to be fucking first person shooter games and shit like that. Yeah. And that's fun. And I'm all for that. No, I no, no. Maybe 10%, 80% porn. 80% porn. Well, again, back to Sturgeon's law, 90% of it will be crap, but 10% of it will be really great. You know, and I, I had somebody on the podcast who's an interesting gentleman named Genova Chen. And Genova has a game company in LA and everything he's ever done has been kind of more conscious subject matter. Right. And right. I wanted to talk to him about that because every, you know, he's not doing like zillions of bullets spraying while things are moving in slow motion and stuff, <laughs> stuff's covered in lens flares. He's doing this kind of really, you know, beautiful stuff that's basically the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's much more kind of conscious stuff. And it's almost like, it's almost like his work has this kind of shamanistic feel to it. Yeah. Where it's like, have this beautiful experience. This can be had in a virtual reality space, but it's it's all about the subject matter, right? And then I agree that, yes, a lot of it will be porn. <laughs> what did I, I watched a special the other day on some, it was like, oh, I don't know, David Attenborough was a narrator, though. I remember that. And it was like this shot, they tried to recreate this like time lapse of this little camera pan through the forest but it was like spaced out over the entire growing season yeah yeah mm. and it was like fucking it was crazy it's pretty mm. blown away oh, was it, it the for like the rainforest or something like that or yeah it was... it was like the camera pan and it was showing all the things but oh. they, they had to they couldn't keep the gear outside so they like built this trolley and copied it all and then made it all in a studio and it was fucking crazy it was pretty yeah. moving actually about mm. the work they put in did you shed a yeah. tear I did not shed a tear. No, I, I probably would have. Fucking sensitive yeah. guy. Yeah, and you know what's going to be if, happening. If the flames win the cup, I might shed a tear. <laughs> I mean, b before we know it, what's going to be happening is kids, I mean, maybe a downside of technology, this is, you know, mostly con, maybe a little bit of pro, is that you'll have some sort of David Attenborough narrative nature program that you're having with a virtual reality experience. And the kid is like wandering through nature with his VR helmet on instead of actually going outside. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, totally. That's going to happen. I mean, the travel will be huge. Right. Tour, tourism and travel. I, I've got one that I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I, you know, I, it's, I want mine hooked up to my stationary bike and I could just, you know, bike all around the world sitting in my basement. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> Again, pros and cons with technology. I think it's also about moderation and realizing that there's things that can be done here that are very um, beneficial to people. And if that allows you to, if you are um, never able to see the Great Wall of China, unless it's through a VR experience and it's done in amazing, you know, again, perfect frame rate, perfect resolution, like everything's exactly as it would be if you were actually there, then that could be a good thing. You know, except there's zombies and you can shoot the shit no. out of them. See, I, I, I admire the Cloudhead games because, like, that we had Danny on that and it was great talking about VR and all that. And he's, he's really trying to, and actually, they're doing it. They're, they're doing the conscious, conscious, uh, subject matter as well. Like, they wanted to provide a full, you know, a full immersive experience without, without, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be into the shooting and all that kind of stuff. So, Hopefully, hopefully it does well. Problem solving. That's what yeah, it's, a it's, lot of yeah, it's, it's a solving. lot of problem solving. It's a real interactive game like that. So. Yeah. No, no yeah. jump, no jump scares. She says, 
What's the what? The jump scare. That's when like. Was that like when I jumped off the building in the Oculus? No, I don't think so. And you had to like fly through shit while you were falling. No, I think a jump scare would be like a zombie jumping out and scaring you. Like there's gonna oh. be a lot of. I think there's gonna be a lot of heart attacks in VR. It's pretty realistic. Right. Exactly. We're gonna get to a point where that's gonna become a problem. Where the games will be so crazy that people will be fucking dying. Yeah. Well, if, if you if, die if, in the game, do you die in real life? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. But <laughs> if if we're hooked up to machines more and more in the future, I mean, that's something that, again, if you if you're able to do things there that you otherwise would never be able to have the experience of, fair enough. But if you can always have the real experience, have the real experience. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of what I would you know, champion with that type of thing. Yeah. But it is certainly exciting times. I mean, think of how much technology technology has just changed in our lifetimes. I mean, you hear the statistics on somebody that's like 17 right now has no idea what like a CD is. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like somebody that's 20 doesn't even never had an audio tape. It's just staggering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I still have my old audio tapes. You do. Your cassette yeah. collection. <laughs> yeah. You should see it one day. I should show you. You'll get a kick out of it. I probably got like 200 old cassette tapes. I used to have, a, I had cassettes. <laughs> Did you really know? Yeah, I had Use yeah, Your Yeah, you illusion. were living in a small town. Oh, that was probably Use Your, your Illusion yeah. 1 and 2 on yeah, cassette. Yeah. I had those on cassette too. <laughs> so uh, speaking of experience, what do you do personally? Like, how do you, uh, besides uh, attending uh, events like uh, Burning Man, uh, do you have like a regular meditation practice or do you do anything personally? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I have some friends that have been doing Kundalini, Kundalini yoga lately. And yeah. if you want to talk about a kind of an esoteric art, man, I mean, there are yogis in India that have been getting to very kind of expansive places just by doing yoga every yeah. day. Yeah. So however you want to get there, I mean, whether it's through meditation or yoga, I mean, you don't have to do a plant medicine to to get there, but I, I have I have had a little bit of experience with that. It's funny. My my parents took me to like a meditation class when I was like twelve years old, and when they were trying it, and of course they eventually they they tried it for a while, and they brought me to the class, and you know we all kind of waned off of it just because I think it's quite boring. But there's ways of doing micro meditations and things where you don't have to sacrifice so much of your time. Again, the machine keeps us on these big busy hamster wheels where we have very little time. But um, I would be interested in getting back into some of those. Um, you know, mind like short term everyday consistent practice yoga techniques. But for me, I mean, I, I just try and as you become more conscious, I mean, you really kind of pay attention to what you put in your body and, you know, the effect of your health on your, uh, in terms of your mental health and your physical health. Yeah. So I've just always tried to stay in good, like physical shape and then, you know, work on mental health as well. But like so much of what I've done this day, these days is just reading weird things, you know, and, and things that I think you, to most people are considered just like not mainstream at all. But uh, as you grow through your path, I mean, you read something like the Tao Te Ching, where you, you read it when you're in high school and it's the most boring, unnerving <laughs> thing you could imagine. And then you might go back and read it in five years and you get a little bit out of it. Right. And then maybe you go back and you read it 10 more years later and you're like, wait, there's some, there's some interesting stuff in this. I'm expanding my horizons. I'm now seeing more into this. And then maybe later in life, if you are continuously on a growth path, you'll read it and you'll be like, this is just amazing. This is full of gnosis. This is incredible. So I'm trying to read more really deep things of substance, which helps me be a better writer too. So um, it's a lot of, lot of kind of personal research, but I haven't, 
I, I haven't had a lot of um, experience with festival culture. I mean, and festivals are very, it's becoming more popular. And the kind of couple festivals that I've been to, I've been really impressed with um, just the level of general conversation that you can have there and just the kind of level of knowledge that people have and just kind of there's definitely a dynamic with festival culture where a certain type of person comes at it and you'll get everything. You'll get kind of the, you know, the new age ridiculousness or the kind of like people that don't know anything, or then you've got kind of the psychedelic community there. It's kind of a whole smorgasbord of people that are, are, are just there for recreational purposes or there for deeper purposes. And people use it as uh, many different reasons, Right, right. but um, yeah, festivals certainly are a, participation in that is something that is can be a direct experience of getting there getting out there and actually having you know there cer- certain things can happen at those places that you won't see anywhere else i'm not by any means an expert on festival culture and i can really only kind of talk about what i've had direct experience with and it's been i've been to a couple of them but they are they are it's interesting seeing those things on the rise for sure i think internationally there's a lot of uh uh, festival things happening constantly, and you'll you'll definitely find a certain type of person at festivals. Hmm. So you'll do yeah. you'll keep you'll continue doing that a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It wouldn't be like every single year type thing. I mean, there's people that that revolve. I, I mean, let's look at something for like Burning Man, for example. That I went to one year, and I was just one of the things that was amazing to me was how certain people at Burning Man, they, their whole lives revolve around that event for the year. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they're 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 like got it on the calendar. That's like the week where they're gonna just let it all out, literally sometimes. And like that's that's like their whole year is revolved around that. And they have these names and these personas. It's kind of like they're larping. It's like their spiritual larping festival for that part of the year. They they just build their whole life around that. So you know, some people are really into festival culture. For those of us that don't know what larping is, they get live action role playing, right? Right. Yes. I should have mentioned. Yes. No, exactly. no, it's, I heard you talk about it on your podcast. I love that. Cause I, I grew up in the eighties and we played Dungeons and Dragons and it was like fantastic for creativity. Like it was really interesting how never. we'd stay up all night, like doing role, like actual role playing games and all that. It would get pretty crazy. I could never right. get into that shit, man. I remember we tried to play Dungeons and Dragons one time and I didn't really know what it was. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool. And I went over there and we were sitting around and then they started, like, I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> <I'm outta> here. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of like nerd tax associated with that, where of course everybody, everybody views you societally as some sort of status of being a nerd when you do those things, but it's all about finding your tribe, right? So oh, yeah. somebody that may be LARPing on the weekend, I mean, maybe they're a computer programmer by day and they're a weekend LARPer and they're dressing up as like, Gandalf charging the field. <laughs> no, they've got friends that they're doing that with. So. Yeah, no, I mean, we. I grew up in a pretty, uh, pretty open like circle of friends. On like, I was friends with and did all kinds of different things from sports to to that type of stuff and music. Like, we were into all kinds of things with all different groups of people. It was pretty cool. Like, you had your little cliques, but it was also cliques, cliques, cliques of Clicks. people, cliques, cliques. Cliques. Yeah, maybe that's the Canadian. Word of- no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the French Canadian. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, there was a documentary made about LARPing. This is a total random conversation. I've never it. heard of LARPing before. You really never had. There, there was a documentary made about uh, LARPing a while back, and I know the filmmaker. One of the main things that he struggled with making it was the the community of LARPers. <laughs> allowing him to come in and kind of be exposed to their inner world because they were afraid that they'd be made fun of. It was like 
the kind of geeks of Comic-Con, right? And again, yeah, yeah. Comic-Con's a geek, but like, you know, back to kind of neoteny and childishness, I'm always amazed by how many people are willing to go full grown adults that are willing to go to Comic-Con and dress up as like Mr. Incredible and wear tights all weekend. Oh, that, the love- other day I was stuck in traffic downtown because there was a whack of people dressed up when comic-con was here there was just i couldn't believe it it was like four lights and the cops were there they're just like no let them through <laughs> so we're just sitting there and it was just like costume well, I know we wanted to go. Costume. i wanted to have a booth there for the Grand america show i wanted to go and sell some t-shirts or something like that but hundreds of people with costumes yeah so yeah. i mean what do you think about that as being an artist like is that do you find that it sounded like you were going to say that that was sort of childish, but in another way, it's kind no, of very crea- well, yeah. creative as well. And, you know, in terms of childishness, I mean, when it comes to certain things where it's the separation between, I would say, kind of simple ignorance and complex ignorance, where like, you know, a child is, when a child's born, he doesn't know like kind of what quadratic equa- equations are, of course. But when the comp, that's simple ignorance, but the complex ignorance is like, I don't want to know any more about things that I'm looking at. And, you know, we all probably have family members that are like, you're looking too much at crop circles. I don't want you to, I I don't want to even think more about crop circles. Right. And that's complex ignorance. It's like, I'm not even willing to look anymore at this, at this. So I think in terms of just like people wearing funny outfits, of course, it's nice to have a nice kind of escape uh, at times. But when you're and that kind of childishness of like, let's dress up for Halloween, even though we're adults, it's Halloween this week, even though we're adults and we want to return to that kind of innocence of youth. Cool. That's great. But when you're doing these kind of childish things at a societal level, I think that's when we disavow what we're doing here. And then we let this kind of this whole system has kind of taken over because we have so much inner work to do. And we're all at kind of various stages of that. Yeah, I'm all for people dressing up as in tights if they want to. Just yeah. Yeah. Shout shout out <laughs> to my shout out to my hairdresser who makes her own Comic Con costumes. She's got like oh, really? five yeah. of them going on. I've been talking to her about it. It's pretty cool. It takes yeah. uh, it takes some balls for sure. Like you know what I mean. You have to have why you're. Well, I don't up. know. You have to have a dis- you know. But you can't be too self conscious to go be walking around in public dressed up. Well, you put masks on and stuff. Like it's not like you're naked. I guess. Well, and there's a certain like I wouldn't acting. do it. <laughs> like you know what I mean. I I would be too self conscious to dress up as Superman and head was, downtown and parade around. I was Frodo for Halloween. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a certain like method acting aspect to it as well. And this applies to festival culture where I don't, I don't know if it's like this for every festival, but at some festivals, people basically take on a character and they embody that character for the week. That's right? crazy. Like the, yeah, I didn't really the, realize that. Yeah. And like the method actor will do, you know, they get into character and they essentially never leave character until, you know, for an extended period of time. And like, you know, somebody like Daniel Day-Lewis, for example, who is a method actor, you know, his wife says that it's very interesting, like living with him as he's in character for weeks at a time. And so I know at Comic-Con, it's like a lot of people get so into their characters, yeah, that they build their own costumes and then they embody that character for an extended period of time. And I think that's an element of people working to kind of have micro escapes from the kind of hamster wheel of this kind of system um, that is quite grinding and... Um, yeah, go ahead. Is that Chavez, Daniel Day-Lewis? Chavez from Young Guns, the Indian dude? <laughs> no, Daniel Day-Lewis is, you know, he's a... Uh, Gangs of New York, wasn't he? Or? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, I was picturing, I was just picturing I, I think like, I've Chavez always... storming no. around the house at home. <laughs> <laughs> 
Didn't you mention? I think you mentioned Young Guns on a previous episode too. Like, young. Think, oh yeah, I'm a huge Young Guns fan. Really? When I was oh a kid, God. I had the two VHSs, Young Guns one and two. I used to just watch them over and over, probably a couple times a year. Right. Billy the Kid, man. I wanted to be Billy the Kid. Well, oh. you look at somebody like Daniel Day Lewis, Lou Diamond Phillips. You're thinking that's of, what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Like Daniel Day Lewis is an actor and a very you know amazing actor. He's arguably one of the best actors that's you know lived in recent times. And you know not to put hierarchy on it or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. But somebody like that is an artist, right? He's a true artist, and you don't see him doing like Pepsi Cola commercials all the time. He's you know he's found a way to do his artwork with as much substance and solidity as possible without kind of doing this what people call the selling out paradigm, which is kind of like selling to the highest bidder of this kind of construct the system so you know one thing that's really interesting that i learned about recently is that apparently a lot of actors have things where they'll do they will do a commercial you know which is arguably like a sellout thing and they'll make it so that the contract says that it's only in asia or it's only in japan so wow. americans don't know that they've done this whiskey commercial no way yeah so it's like they have it both ways where they'll they'll take the money but then they don't want to be all over Bill, they don't want to be blasted all over Taco Bell ads all over Los Angeles. Is that so is that the selling out paradigm then? Well, that's what arguably people would say, right? right. Yeah. And again, yeah. like back to musicians, it's like how do you make a living doing your music without kind of, you know, and how do you make money off of that without, you know, completely sacrificing your art, right? It's like how do you put out a good album every time without somebody in an old way of doing things wanting you to just put out something that's going to be a money making thing that the art suffers for it because of, you know, the schedule you were required to put it out or somebody that was, you had too many cooks in the kitchen demanding something and it wasn't coming from the true spirit of what the actual substance of the music was trying to be. So it's always a struggle. Yeah. That, that, that's going to be an interesting one because it was so few people making, you know, millions and millions as musicians. And now it's, it's kind of, they're not, I don't think they can make that much anymore. And it's kind of has spread out quite a bit. Right. And now yeah. Apple gets most of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it would be nice, you know, as we move on to, as we all work to hopefully move on to better things, it'd be nice if like not 50 musicians were making a gazillion dollars, but millions of musicians were all making a living wage off their music. You know, that's amazing. kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. 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 So that's great. Well, we've talked about a whole range of things. We talked about LARPing. We've talked about spiritual philosophy. We've talked. About, <laughs> see the the range of uh, the range of conversation is great, and that's what you know. I think we were talking about this before we started the show. It's like it's nice when you have kind of a casual conversation where anything's on the table because then it makes it for like less kind of starchy formal um, conversation where you can go down any path, and it oftentimes ends up leading to interesting things that you realize certain things are connected to other things and um, nothing's off the table. I still like the method actor. Who else is a method actor? It's fun to picture them in their <laughs> regular life. Yeah. Jim Carrey is a method actor. Really? Yeah. So like, for example, I think when, when you, when you're a method actor, basically like you go into character and it, it's hard to stop your character. Right. So like usually when you're an actor and you're, let's say you're in a play or you're on a set, you're on a film stage, you know, they're rolling camera and then they're calling cut and you're just going back to being, um, you know, your normal person. A method actor won't do that. They'll stay in character. Like cameras will be not even pointed at you and you'll be sitting in, you know, video village, which is where they review all the footage as they're shooting for the day. And you will be in your serial killer character just sitting there. And sometimes like 
method actors can be very difficult to deal with because you'll get amazing, incredible performances out of them because they never go in and out. They're always going deep and staying in the deep end of the yeah, pool. Yeah, but if their character's a dick, then look out, right? Exactly. Yeah, like, you imagine, I think exactly. that's like Chris Tucker from Rush Rush Hour. I couldn't handle being around that guy all the time. I think he's just like that maybe all the time because he was like that on Friday too. He's not a method actor. Well, that, that's like my own personal hell is one day I just wake up and everybody's Chris Tucker. <laughs> Little kid Chris Tuckers. Well, that's a problem with um, That's a problem with a lot of comedians is comedians are, I have so much respect for the comedian and I've learned so much from comedians through time. I mean, the amount of stuff I've learned from stand-up comedy in terms of life and in terms of like things that have allowed me to explore and go down interesting paths is staggering. But the problem with a lot of comedians is that they then get roles in other areas and they're not acting, they're just a personality. So they're hired to just essentially be themselves in a movie, right? So you get this, you get an actor that just like you said, Darren, where he's just the same person in every movie because he's not acting. He's just the personality that he really is. So you look at some actor that's just kind of the same in every, in every role. You're not going to last very long because you're not in a growth process. You're just stagnating. So, or you become the governor. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So what, what are you working on now then besides uh, the podcast and stuff? Are you got any more short films coming up? Well, actually it's funny you mentioned because I've, I've been working on a project for the last couple of years where now that I'm kind of starting to, I'm starting to dive into the realm of documentary filmmaking because yeah, so much more of kind of a conscious form of filmmaking. Yeah. And I've been trying to figure out a way to make something that's of substance that is, um, a cinematic thing that I can do with the kind of resources at hand. And, you know, movies take so much time and effort to make. And I'm working on a first feature, which is very similar to what we've talked about this evening, which is kind of about this kind of spiritual philosophic path. And I'm working on it with a gentleman that's an amazing human being who's probably one of the best people in the world at describing this stuff to people. And so I've kind of teamed up with him and his substance is really deep and amazing. And then I'm bringing kind of my production values into it, having been in Hollywood and having worked at these companies that have these very high bars for quality level. So that's a project that hopefully we're aiming to have done next year. And it's called transmutation. And transmutation is an alchemical word that basically is the changing of one state from another. And, you know, like an alchemist, alchemists were kind of an ancient, I don't want to say chemists, but they were. They, they changed materials. A lot of it is using your will and your consciousness to change a material from one state to another. There was actual alchemy done in a lab that transmuted one material from another, or you can transmute yourself from your old self to your new self. Yeah. So um, we're, the, we're calling the film Transmutation because it's about this kind of like going from a path of like the societal path to going from a path of this like your own journey. And why we are here and what we're, you know, here for. That's interesting. Uh, somebody had a podcast recently, a whole podcast. Who was talking about it? Uh, maybe Alex Sakaris or somebody and one of their guests does a podcast and it's all about uh, people who have sort of gone through this awakening or transmutation. Like it's one story after another of those people. Yeah. And I'd say that, you know, there's several reasons why this is happening now. Again, I use kind of the cell phone metaphor of like, we're going from two bars to five bars. And I think one major reason is because of the internet, 
and how easy it is to access information. You know, and you look at something like th this podcast where you can, anybody can get to this podcast now as long as they can find it and get exposed to a whole uh, slurry of, in, of new information. I mean, this is just kind of like how something like Coast to Coast was where they talk about, you know, a bunch of interesting things and some weird things and some unusual things, but you get much more of a broad spectrum. And then, um, you know, that allows for so much more interesting uh, abilities to expand. That's kind of, yeah, a major part of what's, I think, an important thing to do. And this project is kind of uh, a way, I've, I've used the podcast that I have as kind of a research tool for a lot of projects where it's like some of the people that have been on the podcast, and my the podcast I do is very tertiary. It's not by any means kind of my primary thing, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like a side research project where it's like, oh, I am interested in this person. Like, I'd love to chat with them. And then also a lot of it is like people that I'm kind of ended up collaborating with on projects. So I have several projects kind of, and I have various, the line that they want you to always say in Hollywood is uh, I have various projects in multiple stages of development. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah, some oh. of the projects are with people that I've had on the podcast. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. My sister's saying you should do a documentary on VR and how it can affect people. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then she says, you don't have to say this. Don't say I just thinking. Oh, it's funny. Um, but you know, about the transmutation thing, I, I believe that there's a, also a metaphysical thing going on too with the collective consciousness. Like we're, we're picking up on something that's going on. And uh, <laughs> I remember it's kind of like uh, Rupert Sheldrake's work on the morphic resonance and stuff like that, or the morphic field. I, I think that there's some evidence pointing that that's type of stuff is possible. And I think that's playing a role here as well. Yeah. And that's what I realized I was going to say is that there's, there's multiple reasons why this is happening. I mean, one is the internet and another reason is like, I think there's also astrological reasons why right. yeah. people are kind of, this is the time when we're going from, you know, arguably the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. And I think we're getting signals now that are saying, like, it's time to wake up species. You know, you're coming out of the dark ages and our evolution isn't necessarily just a physical evolution, even though you look at things like video games and look at how much different they were 30 years ago. I mean, that just right there shows that we're evolving, but it's more of an evolution in consciousness. So as people kind of nodes on the network switch on, we're all becoming a little bit more conscious and it takes one step at a time. But I think as people turn off their, you know, rubbish television sets, and again, there's some good shows on TV, but most of them are crap. <laughs> yeah. But like, as we turn off those things and we go to like new mediums and we discover growth processes along the way, um, that's allowing a lot more people to be exposed to new things and realize like, you know, you, you, you find one thing that leads you to another thing and another thing. And that's a good process. You know, I'm just early in this path myself. I'm by no means an expert in it. And a lot of people know much more about it than I do. And we kind of just scratched the surface of it tonight. But um, I think, you know, you guys certainly sound like you're on it as you're talking about all the, you know, interesting things that you talk about. And I think a, a lot of us are. Yeah. It's all about yeah. the rabbit holes, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. The rabbit holes are big, right? And, you know, you go down certain rabbit holes and they just lead you to other rabbit holes and then blast through a wormhole that you're like, wow, if this is true... If what I've just found out is true, I need to rethink everything from the foundation up. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And then you find out they're all connected. Well, yeah, in a lot of ways. And you find that they kind of lead, they're branches on a tree that kind of lead to the same tree trunk. Yeah. Yeah. And um, That's very yeah. avatar of you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when's transmutation coming out, do you think? 
Well, we're hoping to have it done next year. Okay. And uh, there's a website for it. It's transmutationmovie.com okay. is where you can kind of view the trailer. So it's a it's an independent project. You know, the goal of it, like I said, is to put something that's of deep substance that would never be made by Hollywood ever, right. yeah. ever yeah. um, into something that is um, something that looks cinematic and looks like it has high production value, even though it's been done by a little tiny team. Right. So that's the goal. But because it's, uh, you know, a small budget thing, it's on a slow drip process. So we'll hopefully have it done by next year. Right. And then yeah. you'll come back on and talk about it, I hope, before, yeah, it, uh, before it comes out. That would be great. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to, man. And um, yeah, documentaries are an interesting one. I mean, so many documentaries are, of course, quite depressing, but it depends on, I, I think that you can look at uh, the status of the world these days and not be depressed, but, you know, put on the kind of positive hat about like, I understand that, you know, certain things are happening and then propose, you know, kind of proactive solutions to how we can move on to better things and how can, how can we can fix these things one step at a time. And mm -hmm. so- we can't fix our problems until we start to acknowledge what is really going on. Just being in, in a quest for the truth, it's like you, you inevitably will go down these, like, you know, Darren said, rabbit holes. And um, you'll start realizing that a lot of things are um, not at all what you've been led to believe through, you know, the way that you were raised in a lot of ways or the way that you came up in the education system or, you know, that's a whole nother thing we can talk about for hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What what are what other projects do you have in process then? <laughs> I have another uh, project I'm working on that's a short film that was written by somebody else that was on the podcast, and that's an interesting project because that's going to be a narrative project that's kind of got a sci-fi <clears throat> flavoring to it. I nice. find that a lot of my work has this kind of sci-fi theme because science fiction is such you know most science fiction isn't about the future; it's about the present. And so it's like science fiction is used as kind of a wrapper to kind of put a magnifying glass on how things societally are really going now. Huh. So it's kind of like a, a thriller. It's a, it's a short that's kind of got a thriller sci-fi flavoring to it, but it's being done by somebody that I had on the podcast who knows a lot about kind of very esoteric and ancient things. So uh, it's going to be a, a really, the script is really popping right now and it's got a, so much depth to it because it's got things that are inherently true things that most people will resonate with because the most kind of seminal artwork that we ever see, you know, things like avatar obviously is one, but like something like star Wars or the matrix, like these things have encoded symbolism in them and they have themes that resonate with people because they're about things that are timeless. So that's kind of always the goal with projects is to try and make them not something that's just kind of fluff and, and style over substance, but try to add as much substance to them as possible. And when you do more inner work on yourself, it's like you can then put it into your projects. So that's the goal. Yeah, it sounds, sounds familiar. We had a, a couple on that, that wrote a book, a fantastic book. Uh, Rene DeFazio and um, do you remember his... his uh, Tamara Veach. Tamara Veach, yeah, his wife's name. Huh. And, oh my God, it's a, even... Uh, we gave it to Darren's wife and she loved it too. And it's... Uh, it's a very consciously written book, but it's about past lives and going back from like Atlantis, basically a love story going back from like Atlantis all the way to current day, but written about a lot of the stuff that we touch on, on the podcast. And, and I can't wait for it to come out in a movie. I think they've got some sort of, some sort of rights, but I think their book needs to be a little more popular before it'll actually get, get captured as a film or something. I'm not sure how that all works, but yeah, yeah. it sounds, it sounds like uh, that's going to be a great one. We talked about a lot of this stuff with uh, our buddy Robert 
W. Sullivan the Fourth too. Oh, the cinema symbolism. Yeah, yeah. about the Matrix oh. and about those being like recycled old mythologies. And... Yes, I've heard him before. He's a Mason, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, and he's yes, he's definitely got some interesting things to say. And you know, that's an example of somebody that probably knows some esoteric things. And again, the esoteric means like inner work, knows some deep inner work. And I think as you go down this philosophical path more and do more inner work, you're inevitably led to kind of esoteric things, which then send you down mega wormholes. And somebody like him, after you've done that work, you can then step back and evaluate and look at things and explain things so well because your vocabulary enriches and you become more, you just basically become better at explaining things. So I think somebody like him is probably very good at analyzing and picking out things because he's done this kind of esoteric work. So. What's the name of your uh, short film, do you think? Do you, do you have a name for it yet? Yeah, I think we're going to call it The Master Who Makes the Grass Green. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sounds and of course, cool. then, yeah, then the question is, who is the master who makes the grass green? <laughs> and that was actually a phrase that was coined by a gentleman named Robert Anton Wilson. Yeah, we've heard of him before here. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's quite a character. And he wrote a lot of um, books about kind of conspiracy. And uh, his kind of, <clears throat> it was funny because he, had a lot of kind of philosophical things that he talked about, but he did it with a sense of humor. I think it was, I can't remember if it was Oscar Wilde, but there's this great quote, I think it was Oscar Wilde that said, in order to tell men the truth, make them laugh, otherwise they'll try and kill you. (laughs) (laughs) So back to like being boiled in oil. It's like, if you do things with kind of a comedic flavoring, you're bypassing this kind of cultural conditioning that people have. And somebody that was hugely influential on me and I've talked about on the podcast quite a bit was Bill Hicks. I was just going to say his name. I knew, yeah. you, I knew you were thinking of him. And, and Hicks was essentially a comedian. And again, back to me saying how much I've learned from com- comedians. Like Hicks was a comedian that would use insert philosophy into comedy. And then people would get uncomfortable. You know, you <laughs> talked about, we had this talk like an hour ago, Graham, about people, you start telling people about weird shit. And they're like, I don't want to hear about that, which is basically like you're starting to talk about philosophical things and people are like, we don't want to hear that. And Bill Hicks had this great joke where he's like, we don't want to hear your philosophy. We want to hear dick jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was the dynamic where he'd start talking. He'd have a stand up routine where he'd start talking about deep things, which he was getting philosophical in his routine. And the audience would get quiet and feel uncomfortable because people <laughs> are so conditioned <laughs> To not rethink their their paradigms. And I think Hicks had said that he had eaten like his body weight in mushrooms. So he had had some amazing, and again, you don't have to use plant medicines to get you there. But like that was an example of something where he had used a lot of, a, a lot of things that kind of cracked his, you know, crown chakra open and had seen things in, in amazing ways. And so he then inserted that into his comedy. And then it was like his comedy was so much more enriching because it was philosophical and it was hilarious. So people would listen to it and then it would bypass these conditioning systems. Yeah, we've played his, a couple of his clips for a couple of intros to our, <laughs> to our show on psychedelics and stuff. He's got a couple of doozies. I got yeah. an excuse to play another one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, he's one of those, it's, it's so strange because I hadn't really heard a lot about him until we started doing this podcast and all of a sudden his name well, pops up like every 10 episodes. We had his buddy on. Yeah, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin Booth. Kevin right? Booth, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, and see, this is, a, this is a growth process for you, Graham, is that you've started this podcast and then you've found out, you know, you've had all these guests on and they've introduced you to new things. 
So it's like it just it just keeps feeding off of itself. Yeah, and I think it gets it can get overwhelming actually. (laughs) Yeah, it can, and and at times you can be kind of yeah bombarded by information, and so it's it's using again your discernment to pick out what's good information and what's kind of the rubbish stuff. And again, if Sturge's law applies, ninety percent of the stuff that you might be presented with is crap. But if you're willing to kind of sift through and use discernment to to see what's the ten percent of gold. You'll really launch from that, and you know it'll make life more vigil, more interesting. Hmm. Maybe we need more discernment, Darren. More sifting. Yeah, <laughs> I think my sifting process is pretty good. <laughs> well, let me give you. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of discernment. I went to a thing recently in San Francisco that was a, a get together, and it was at somebody's house. And I won't say the person whose house they were at. They wrote a book, and it was a get together, and it was kind of a. I don't want to use the word of like countercultural get together, but it was a, um, it was funny. I say that because Bill Hicks always had this term where when he got philosophical, he would say, this isn't the meeting at the docks. Like we're all conspiring to do something. So I was at, so I was at this get together and the person whose get together it was said in the get together, I'm feeling some Palladian energy tonight. <laughs> so, so when you hear somebody say something like that, you know, that's just the new version of looking outside yourself, right? So if you're in some sort of, I guess you could say this is kind of a, a new age thing that people say, which I would kind of say is rubbish. If, you, if, you're count, if you're channeling the high council of Sirius or something like that, or feeling Palladian energy, this is all probably bonkers, right? It's like if you're looking to something outside, then that's just kind of a new form of saying the same old things that I think we can kind of move beyond. So again, I always advocate like direct experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I like, I like the way you put that. I mean, uh, although sometimes you wonder if there is something outside that keeps getting reinvented, you know, this, this outside energy, but I, I do like the way, I mean, I've done, you know, we've experienced a lot of stuff on our own here. and I do like the the path of self-development for sure. Yeah. And it's not about just being, I mean, self-development is important because you can only work on, I mean, you can work on yourself. You can only really help yourself. And then once you help yourself, you can then kind of have a duty to others to help them too. But, you know, nobody can wake anybody else up without them wanting to be woken up. So that's something that kind of is a struggle, isn't it? Where it's like, you, you're interested in something and you want to show your friend this like Sasquatch video or this crop circle video, and they're not interested. And that's kind of like maybe on their process, they're not as they they are in mainstream reality tunnel and they think there's no validity to any of those things as they're looking at their NASDAQ, you know, charts. And you may be in an area where you're thinking like, hey, there's something here. This is going to lead me to something else. Or at very least, if this turns out to be rubbish, it'll lead me down another path that won't. Yeah. 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 So um, I hear you. Yeah. And I, I guess I would say that. Um, in terms of something outside of ourselves, I mean, yes, if consciousness is kind of a field and, you know, our brains, the common thing that you might hear is that our brains are kind of TV receivers for this field. Yeah. yeah. That there seems to be, yeah. I mean, all of my kind of personal research has shown me that that seems like it could have a lot of validity to it. Yeah. And, you know, they talk about, there was this uh, psychic, this famous psychic named Edgar Casey. Yeah. I've been listening, I'm just listening to one of his books. Yeah. And Casey, you know, was, or a book on him. Sorry. Yeah. A book on him. Yeah, yeah. Casey was amazing. I mean, anybody that wants to look into Casey's life, I don't think he was perfect by any means. Nobody is, but he was essentially probably, it's very likely that Casey was tapping into the Akashic records. 
Yeah. So the Akashic records are essentially like, you know, a library of stored data, which we kind of already talked about in terms of like using the technology metaphor of the cloud, uploading our shit to the cloud. Everything you do in life is very likely recorded in the Akashic records, if that exists. And so if Casey as a psychic is able to tap into that, he is able to instantly download information of past, present, and future. If that's true, then that's quite fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. The book I've the book I've been listening to is Edgar Casey on the Akashic Records by Kevin J. Todeshi. So yeah. that's just like the old cloud. That's like if, yeah. if our civilization crumbled tomorrow, but the cloud was still going, and someone but someone found an iPhone. Yeah, then they'd be the new Edgar Casey. Yeah, like oh yeah, well my Google says. Yeah. Old cloud. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to using that, Darren. That's brilliant. Yeah, you can patent pending. Yeah. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> records are the old cloud. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So we should probably start wrapping up now. Is there anything else you want to chat about? or? No, no, man. It's been great chatting with you guys. You know, it's been really nice. I, I very much enjoy the show and it's been, um, you know, lovely talking to you and I'll continue listening on my end. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. And it's great to have <clears throat> these things popping up again, like nodes on the network switching on where, you know, as we go down our <clears throat> paths of learning and exploring, it's like, we'll find all sorts of new mediums like Gramerica. And um, it's nice that these things exist and are out there. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. We're going to, I'm going to keep listening to yours too. And I'll keep, uh, keep following you and see what, what's going on. It's, it's just fascinating to chat with people like yourself. I feel, I feel privileged to be able to have these conversations really. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be able to, um, the medium is great to allow people like minds to find each other. So that's, that's one of the best things about it. Where can our listeners track you down if they want more Niles Heckman? <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my personal site is just my name.com. So that's N I L E S H E C K M A N. And that kind of aggregates to our, um, I have a little production company that I do. That's just kind of for my film projects. And then, um, I have a, uh, a podcast, which is, of course, like I said, just kind of a tertiary thing I do that's just on my personal site. And then, um, yeah, the site for our kind of film next year, documentary film, where you can see the trailer is uh, transmutationmovie.com. So that's where I'm at. Right on. Who are you going to get to narrate? Oh, it's funny. Yeah, the person that I'm collaborating with it on, who um, people can go check out the trailer and see who that is. Like, he's a he has a beautiful like kind of way that he presents the material. So he is actually the narrator. So he's kind of written it and narrated oh, it. Interesting. Cool. And he is kind of, yes, he has an amazing, he's done an amazing amount of inner work and he helps people with their own kind of inner work through our crazy society today. And um, it's not like self-help stuff, but it's just kind of like personal development. And um, he's very good at explaining things. So he has this great, great way of simplifying and explaining things. And um, again, as you kind of do more work, you, you your vocabulary increases and you get very good at communicating. Does he have an English accent? He does, yes. Is, he has a, is his initials NK? Yes, yes. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, and so I've kind of, Yeah, <laughs> I've been trying to get him. I sent him a few emails, but he's been on our list because list of guests uh, of, of a wish a wish list because some of our listeners are like, you have to have him on, blah, blah, blah. And then I heard him on yours a little bit, so... Yeah, yeah and, that's great. It, it, Neil's great. I mean, I've been going down this kind of rabbit hole of research, kind of finding out that, you know, things systematically are needing to change 
at many levels. And so that kind of has inevitably led me to like, yeah, Neil's work and eventually collaborating with him. So That's great. he's, yeah. yeah, he's the writer and the narrator. And then I'm director and cinematographer of the piece. So it's basically the two of us doing this project together. And he has these, um, podcasts he does called Rome casts. And so this is kind of like a Uber version of one of his high production value podcasts. So it's going to be great. Rome as in, we should put a GoPro on you. Roman. <laughs> <laughs> Rome, Rome, as in roaming, or or roam the city? Rome? No, 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 not not roam the city at all. Um, as in roaming around, like yeah, okay, when he's cool. roaming. Cool. Yeah, that no, that's cool. He see that yeah. these types of guys are so articulate and so um, <laughs> talk that they can do that, right? I like there's a couple podcasts of guys that I can just listen to talk to themselves, but. Can never do with that. you would just be like a lot of cool stuff and dead air just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lip smacking lip smacking right on yeah. and the odd curse yeah well thanks a lot eh? i mean i think you guys will have a great project there. i can't wait to see it i mean it's one of our favorite topics is is that whole evolution and transmutation of consciousness so i can't wait yeah, that's great. Well, thanks, man. It should be really good, and we're looking forward to it. And yeah, we'll uh, keep you posted. And yeah, it'd be great to come back on and talk about it once it's done. Yeah, cool. Cool. Right on. Okay, Niles, it's been great. Take care. Yeah. Thanks so much, fellas. Okay. Bye-bye. back that was our chat with niles heckman what do you think garen that was a fun one i don't really remember it was a long time ago that there's a, there's a story behind that episode um there was some some delay in getting it out so that was what three or four four weeks ago now when was that yeah i think it was more than that even yeah yeah th- five weeks i think so thanks it for your patience one, niles yeah yeah thanks yeah it was a good one for sure when you know we had a good chat for two hours so this is a long episode so hopefully you guys made it all the way through yeah i liked how we talked about the middle path again it seems to come up a lot right like science and and religion on the one side and we talked about the divine and natural but spiritual path down the middle and it seems to come up a lot but it's it's great how these people can talk about all that and you know a spiritual practice goes along with it and how we how we create as humans and how important that creation is and in, in art and and other stuff we talked about the ego death that's yeah, pretty it's pretty interesting yeah well so, we'll have to have him back of course he's got his own show what's his show called again do you have that written down there uh, I should know it off the top of my head. We talked about it right at the beginning there. Hmm. Novelty generators, I think. Yeah, or... we'll have to link to that. People should check that out. That's yeah, how it's pretty interesting, yeah.
Actually, I think I found, uh, no, we found him through Psychedelic Salon. Yeah. That's right, Lorenzo. Yeah. We should have Lorenzo on. I think we've tried. I should have tweet we? him again. Yeah, we should. Do you listen to that one, Red? Oh, yeah. Psychedelic Salon is, is one of my How's favorite. How's it come up with an episode in a while? Oh, yeah. Hmm. As you can hear, we still have Red Pill Junkie here on the outro. Yeah, he's here for the big reveal. The big reveal. Ooh. Should Well, should we do it then? Thanks. Uh, oh. So yeah, the, the, symbol. the beauty is we got this email right after we did all the things. So John, John is 4. viewing 2. us. Oh, you gotta be kidding. Hi, Graham. The target was the Eiffel Tower. Any impressions of tall, metallic, triangular, foreign, massive government France pointed would be valid. Cheers, John. Son of a bitch. You know what? Can I tell you something? Wait, what what did he say? Any any things of what? Well, he said the target was the Eiffel Tower. So any impressions of tall, metallic, triangular, foreign, massive, government, France, and pointed would be valid. Well, uh how about an orange basketball? Not quite, eh? Not Wayne, even close. Wayne out of Med Hat said government and tall structures, vertical yeah. structures. Mm -hmm. Vertical structures, yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Yellowstone is exactly opposite of France. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's along the same coordinates or something like that. It's the exact. If, maybe if you drilled through, maybe it's the underbelly of the supervolcano. No. No? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Where does that put you? Can I it's tell you a story? It's got to be close. No, it would be somewhere in the middle of the Pacific. Can I tell you a story? Yeah, maybe there's a, there's a basketball course in the, sec, in the exact middle distance between the Eiffel Tower and Stonehenge. And that's where Graham comes in? Yeah. Maybe Easter Island. Can I tell you why? Why? I was driving back with Mark yesterday from Vancouver to Calgary, right? Yeah. We are talking about all kinds of crazy stuff, right? We recorded the podcast on, of course, remote viewing came up, and this I think this exercise came up, and we talked about how he had taken Paul. He he asked me, he says, well, do you, are you into that? Do you like, you know, we were asking each other a bunch of questions, and I'm like, well, I took two of Paul Elder's courses or whatever, and he says, yeah, I took one as well. And I said, so did he, what was his reveal? Because I was a little bit pissed off not pissed off but i was wondering why in both of my courses at different times and with and with paul elder and i talked to him about how we had him on the show and all that i said both times it was the eiffel tower and he said he said yeah i know me it was uh, it was the eiffel tower for him too and i go why would he put the eiffel tower in two different calgary courses and, and, now, it's eiffel like, tower again. and now it's eiffel tower again hmm. that was just so you today. knew it you just didn't didn't know you it. You didn't go with your gut. I knew it, and I didn't know it. Dumbass. <laughs> no, but why would Paul Elder and, and this guy put the Eiffel, Tower, the Eiffel right? Tower? We did. Yeah. We fucking I don't mentioned know if we it. We talked about it on the show, but we talked about it maybe at work. I remember talking about the Eiffel Tower two times. We've had this conversation before. Or I've got deja vu because wow. we just we did we just no, hit a I glitch think, in the hard drive. Of yeah, the I think we did. Universe. Yeah, we're we're looping loopers. Yeah, the Eiffel Tower is making us loop. I suppose that's a good a point as any to wrap it up on. I guess so. That's pretty interesting. Um, as always, support the show. Uh, help us with our gas. Um, <laughs> 
grammarica.ca slash support. Uh, sign up the newsletter, grammarica.ca slash news. Review the show, grammarica.ca slash iTunes. Um, voicemail. Voicemail. And email Graham, spam Graham. And spam Graham. And big thanks to Red for joining us. Oh, yeah, we did. The other thing we wanted to push was bloggers. Um, uh, we haven't talked about in a while that we are always uh, always looking for new bloggers. So if you're interested, just uh, just spam Graham or, or shoot me an email and we'll get you set up. And, uh, yeah, we've got some great bloggers, some great art going up on the site now. Have you checked out the new webcomic at all, Red? Yeah. haven't had much time. Yeah, you'll have but to. But I will do some. Yeah, I will do some. Napoleon's got about, there must be four or five issues up there now. They're pretty, you're, you're, you'll love them for sure. You'll read all of them. There's little Easter eggs in there. Yeah, thanks. Great. Looking forward to it. You might even be featured in there in one or two of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, he is too, isn't he? Yeah. Uh-huh. The luchador himself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, come uh, if you're looking for a, a place to write and express yourself in some other form, shoot us an email and uh, yeah, you can call Grand America home. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for coming along, Red. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to Niles, and we will see you next week.
Hey. Okay. 